the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Zombie, starring Tisa Farrow, Ian McCullough, and Al Cliver. When there's no more room in Italy, the dead will take a sailboat to Manhattan by way of the Caribbean. (laughs) What's up, everybody? (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team proper, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snackage Schaefer. And this week, we are covering the... Seminal zombie Italian classic by Lucio Fulci, Zombie Flesh Eaters, aka Zombie 2, aka Zombie! (laughs) Wow. AKA Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things Part 2. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that, Zach, because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, consider this a second half of that conversation. Um, we kind of, I kind of prioritized this this movie after we we talked. Uh, children shouldn't play with dead things because we brought up a lot of similarities between the two and everything. So I thought it would be a good idea to sort of tackle this sooner rather than later. Um, but before I get into my experience with zombie, Zach, what is yours with this uh, Lucio Fulci classic? Well, let's see. Uh, I have my brother yet again to thank for probably freaking me out as a kid, seeing this box art at the video store, getting traumatized by it uh, as a as a young lad, and then my brother forcing me to watch it and totally being grossed out and terrified all at the same time. I've probably seen it. I maybe I've watched it every want to say five to ten years. I know that's a big gap in between. But I have definitely seen it many times. So this viewing was like icing on the cake for me. I'm so glad I didn't have to break it down. Just simply from the fun standpoint of like being able to enjoy it and getting to talk about all the 
the good, the bad, and everything in between. The good, the bad, and the the zany. <laughs> and the extremely long pauses in between things. <laughs> or the, the staring off into the distance as uh, Anne is wont to do the entire fucking movie. Um, yes. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I love this movie. It's not my favorite Fulci film. Uh, my favorite is, is The Beyond. Samers. Okay, cool. Yeah, and we're going to get to it eventually, but I figured we should probably tackle this one first. I feel like more people probably know this one, and I think as far as like a, a barrier of entry, I think this is probably one of the easier Fulci films to get into. Well, yeah, I think so. Um, it's also a groundbreaking film on many levels. Uh, it's influential on many levels, and... Kind of, I know it was in, I know we did movies in between, but I feel like it's a, it was, we referenced it in Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Yeah. It kind of just makes sense to, to, to do it uh, on the heels of that movie. And man, I mean, it's definitely a movie we were not supposed to watch as kids. And dare I say something probably most people wouldn't want to watch now based on the level of gore and, and, and terror. Yeah, yeah, and as a kid, of course, I watched it for the gore and the copious amounts of nudity. Um, but now, I was waiting. <laughs> but now, I also watch it for its fantastic score by Fabio Frizzi and, uh, and the other guy. I don't remember his name offhand, but uh, Zach will will talk all about it in a second. Um, but what I really love about this movie is the way the zombies are portrayed. Samers. You know, as a stark contrast to Dawn of the Dead, and we will talk about that connection in, in a second, the zombies in this movie, they have their eyes closed. Almost every single one of them do, except for maybe like two. They have their eyes closed, their heads are kind of looking down, and their arms are down by their side. This movie was always intended uh, by the writer to be more akin to to movies like White Zombie with Bela Lugosi and less akin to movies like Dawn of the Dead. But with the massive popularity of Dawn of the Dead, this movie was kind of retooled and quickly pushed out the door um, as Zombie 2, and that's Z-O-M-B-I, because Dawn of the Dead was um, uh, played in Italy as Zombie. Um, and Italy has this interesting, uh, like, uh, trademark laws and stuff where it allows you to make sequels to pre-existing things. And it's, wow. it's very interesting. <laughs> so, so technically in Italy, this is an official sequel to Dawn of the Dead, although Fulci said he didn't intend that to, to be such, and he says this is supposed to be more of a standalone thing. Now... That's kind of as far as I want to go into the history of this movie. It has a huge backstory to it, and I am no authority on the subject matter. And I know for a fact if I get something wrong, I'm going to get brutalized because that's just the way brutalized. the Brutalized. So I implore you, if you enjoy this movie, there is buku amounts of YouTube videos and books and documentaries that you can watch to learn about Italian horror movies, Italian giallo movies. This is not a giallo film, technically, although it is sort of in that same hemisphere because Lucio Fulci is also a giallo director, but this is not a giallo film. 
And a Western director, yes. too. Yes. And so what I'm saying is there's a wealth of information out there that you guys can dig into if you want uh, to learn more about Fulci and Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie Flesh Eaters, a.k.a. Zombie 2, a.k.a. Nightmare Island, which is what it was originally written as. So, And and and, on, and honestly, it would be a three-hour podcast, podcast alone if we tried to talk about the whole entire history of Italian horror cinema. Yeah, and if you want, you can go back to the archives of Podcasting After Dark and listen to the watch list that I did with David Irons, where we talked about our top five Italian horror films and we expound upon giallo and zombie horror and Italian horror and horror horror and all that good stuff. So uh, no one's no one in that is called a horror, but, you know, go listen to that if you want a little bit more uh, Italian love in your life. Love Italian style. And if you have any further questions, just go hit up David Irons. He'll uh, he'll explain it all to you pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I have a I have this beautiful book. It's called um I think it's called Beyond the Gates, I believe. Or it's The Beyond or Beyond some Anyways, it's uh, the films of Lucio Fulci and it's a beautiful like coffee table book. Um that came out, I think Ibon Press might have put it out decades ago. Uh, man, yeah, maybe almost maybe almost twenty years ago. I think I got it. I got it at a Fangoria convention way back when. Anyways, beautiful uh, history of Fulci's movies from westerns to horror, so and everything in between. And while we're talking about Fulci, and we'll get into his filmography and everything, you said uh, The Beyond is is also your favorite one of his films. Um, is he your favorite Italian horror director? Beyond is definitely my favorite Fulci film, uh, Felci, Felch. Uh, but and then on the cover of that that beautiful book is a shot from The Beyond when they're in like the sand dunes mm. or whatever, yeah. you know, in the afterlife. Uh, my favorite horror director might actually be, believe it or not, um, because I, I referenced this film as being my favorite, spoiler, my favorite um, uh, horror, I think I think it was my favorite Italian horror film, uh, Demons, uh, Lumberto Bava. Ah. He might be my favorite director, uh, Italian horror director. Okay. Argento, maybe? Maybe Argento? Uh, but I think Bava, Bava might be the top one. Yeah. Based on just the, my love of demons one and demons two. Yeah. And I love those movies as well. Guys and gals, spoiler alert. We, uh, we actually have both of them, um, kind of ready. We, we want to tackle them back to back, um, as sort of like a two parter, but we also want David Irons to be on those episodes. So we're kind of, uh, Zach's got the Blu-rays. I got the Blu-rays. We're, we're kind of just waiting to sort of sync up uh, schedules and everything. But uh, as you all know, David's a very, very busy man. But it will happen. We will tackle Demons on on the show, Demons 1 and 2, because I love that as well. Uh, me personally, I always liked Fulci uh, probably the most. Um, but it doesn't take away from, from the other directors. Like, it's I love this the look of this genre i love the look of this era i love movies from this era and everything especially yeah. horror movies coming out of italy it's just it it it's you know the the blood sometimes looks fake but i love it you know what i mean there's just something about it all that i that i love it just feels so gritty and and real and, and almost almost like guerrilla filmmaking a little bit you know 
Yeah, I, I take the flip side in my love of Fulci. I would rather, I would almost just want to see images with music that he shot, uh, you know, because aesthetically what he does on screen is so striking and accompanying that with a fantastic score. It really, I could just look at that all day. It's like moving art, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the shot in this movie where they're, it's the shot of the, uh, the village, you know, where it's kind of the dust is, the wind is blowing the dust around and you see like a, whether it wasn't a, it wasn't a donkey at this part. A goat, like, like goats else. walking around, yeah. Yeah, but very desolate and open. And I'm just looking at that, and I almost wanted to freeze frame it because it's so beautiful. It, it's um, beautiful in its in in its disturbingness, and that's yeah. kind of like how the end of the Beyond was when they sort of go off into the Beyond, which I or hell, whatever that is, where all the bodies yeah. and the sand dunes and and everything, and that. And I think that's what, again. What I love about this movie, what really strikes me about this movie is the visuals. Same same as you. I love those shots. And like where you just see that one lone zombie off in the distance walking down the the street in broad daylight, you know, but the wind is kicking up. I love the use of wind in this movie. And I love, love the fact that the zombies' eyes are closed. It's almost as if they can just sort of sense you. And it makes them a bit more supernatural than, say, Dawn of the Dead or Night of the Living Dead, which kind of tries to take a, you know, a, a virus or a space sort of, you know, thing with it, whereas this is voodoo. They they really lay into the voodoo aspect of this, but it's still very different than, like, White Zombie in those other movies. Those other zombie movies that came out before Night of the Living Dead, the original one. Yes. Yeah, we're talking 68 prior, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um. And Night of the Living Dead obviously changed all that. So changed the entire game, man. It turned it from from being like voodoo resurrected things to being like you know apocalyptic and everything. And the zombies that we know and love today all come from Night of the Living Dead. Every single one of them. Yeah, and I feel like this movie can live within the Dawn Day uh, trilogy because though they do say most throughout most of the movie that it's probably voodoo, they also speculate that it may not be right you know the doctor saying i don't want to you know admit that or i don't want to like uh believe that it's something supernatural so adds to that possibility of maybe it is some sort of weird virus we don't know Mm -hmm. what we do know is pretty much everybody dies (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and then some people probably should have died that didn't die they're lucky they didn't die they owe a lot they owe a lot to uh Brett Hull. I'm sorry, Brian Hull. I was going to say, to to poor Brian. (laughs) That that poor poor former hockey player, Brett Hull. Sorry, Brian Hull. We'll get to him in a minute. We will. We will. I gave him a shout-out in the intro. I I was like, oh, I'm going with Al Cliver. I love that dude as Brian Hull. Yeah, I I love him too, man. Fucking awesome. I thought he was Best part of the movie. It's complete. Well, the the boobs might be the best part. Of well, <laughs> yes. Um, we we kind of you know we talked a lot about Fulci just now. Any other movies offhand that you want to uh, discuss, um, other than you know the the Gates of Hell, the of course the late you know the, that famous scene of the lady vomiting up her intestines and and whatnot. Are there any um standouts that maybe um to you that maybe people might not know? I mean, Gates of Hell that always gets. People always shout that movie out. I get it. I get it. I have a hard time with it because 
the, the, the coughing up the guts is really hard. That scene in particular is really hard for me to, no pun intended, stomach. Yeah. Um, Contraband is a, is a thriller he did. It's really cool. If you've never seen it, uh, Fabio Testi is in it. Uh, just badass crime film. Uh, Italians made great crime films. Um, he Fulci did do some really good westerns. He did one called Four of the Apocalypse, which stars, uh, again, Fabio Testi and I, Michael J. Pollard, actually, too. Uh, Y'all probably know him from, I think he did a, well, Michael J. Pollard was in um, a movie we talked about on Podcasting After Dark, I believe. But he was in Scrooge and Tangled Cash. He was in Split Roxanne. Second. We talked about him in Split Second, yeah. That's right, yeah. 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 For the Apocalypse, if you've never seen that, I have this great uh, – I have a bunch of Spaghetti Western box sets. Uh, Anchor Bay put out one years ago that was really, really good, and that one is in that box set. Um I mean, he, the guy the guy is a tour de force. Maybe he is my favorite director. Maybe. I, I, I guess. I mean, I, there's a, I, just, I do love all his work. Yeah. Uh, not all of his work, but I do love a lot of his work. And those are just a couple others that should definitely should check out. And, yes, I've seen uh, Gates of Hell, and I kind of felt the same way as you. It was – I mean, I love that it exists, but for me personally, it was a bit – too far uh you know with with the intestines although again like i said i'm i'm happy that it exists i don't feel the need to really uh kind of dive into it again you know well and i gotta say too because this this piggybacks off of what uh we talked about maybe it was in the last episode Uh, i referenced an italian horror film that i saw at the arrow theater recently where people were like oh my god it's gonna be on screen i've never seen this and then you see and you're like yeah, but it's really rough to watch. Like, it's hard to watch. I don't know. It's just not for me. Like, I don't look at that and go, oh, yeah, fucking do it. Like, I look at that and go, oh, can we skip? Can we go ahead 10 seconds on this scene? Because it's a little too much. You know, like, I think that's maybe my minor complaint with uh, with Italian horror is the use of zo- uh, uh, the use of maggots and the use of worms. Like, I get it. It's gross. It's it, it, for for that shocking effect, it works. It's just not for me. It's not for me. Now, the one that I haven't seen that I really want to see is House by the Cemetery. Is that a good one? It's been some time since I've seen that film. Um, I remember it being a shocker back way back when. Yeah, I mean, it's worth watching. Yeah, at least once, right? I think you should watch some of the westerns. Oh, personally, I, I think you to. should. I think you should start diving into some of the Italian westerns because there's a level of horror in that. Too. Django, Django is a is a fucking beast of a western horror film. It's 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 western horror. It's dark and gritty, um, and and balls to the wall greatness like action. So uh, nice. I don't know. I would pitch that to you. I'd be like, watch those. <laughs> okay. I mean, no, I, I, I listen to you, buddy. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out for sure. I'll go check out the four for the apocalypse. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Four, uh, four of the apocalypse, okay. I believe it's called. And then, um, yeah, there, we might be covering a Western, uh, later this year on podcasting after dark, a spaghetti Western. That's I am a okay with that. My friend, <laughs> yeah. um, do you want to talk about the writers? Sure. Uh, Elisa Briganti, and uh, Dardano Sacchetti. Uh, if I mispronounce these names, I apologize. But guys, 
we're I'm just like I'm just glad I didn't have to say it, man. <laughs> I go with it. I go with it. You know, I I I, I do my best. Um, yeah, I mean, Dardano, he uh, directed or wrote uh, 1990 the the uh, what is it the 1990 the Bronx Warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cheesy sci-fi. I love it. Fred Williamson. It's it's uh, Vic Morrow. It's it's balls to the wall craziness. I yeah. love it. And then uh, Elisa Briganti. Uh, I think. Oh, she co-wrote the screenplay for uh, 1990: The Bronx Warriors as well, and Hands of Steel, which <laughs> was, is a, another fun one. I was gonna say, and Hands of Steel. I think uh, our pals over at Action Action covered that one i believe but yeah old hands of steel <laughs> oh hands of steel we're not talking about ronnie garvin the professional wrestler yeah <laughs> he was hands of stone hands of stone should we talk about the cast or do you uh, want to talk about more of the uh the, the or the, should we talk about the composer well i'll let you talk about the composer in a second um i wanted to really quick talk about the excellent makeup effects done by Giannetto De Rossi. Um, I believe, you know, he has a team of people working with him, but I believe he was the sort of the, the head guy behind all the amazing effects uh, in this movie. He's also worked on The Beyond. He also worked on House by the Cemetery. Um, but he also worked on Conan the Destroyer and some of the creative makeup and cool. David Lynch's Dune as some of the creative makeup. So this guy is pretty amazing. And the stuff that he's doing here, especially the eyeball thing, especially Susan's throat getting ripped out, there's just some amazing effects going on here. Yeah, really impressive. And um, maybe a little groundbreaking for its time, too. Yeah, makes, yeah, pretty much. Um, dude. Fabio Fritzi, man, you got to talk. Fritzi. This score, I love the score for this movie. Not my favorite score of his. Obviously, I think the Beyond and Contraband has a really good score as well that he did. Uh, he works, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, uh, what is it? John Williams with uh, Spielberg. Yeah. The, the yeah. two of them did a lot of stuff together. So uh, City of the Living Dead, like I said, the Beyond, Contraband, to name a few. Yeah, it's it's uh, legendary. There's a band called Zombie Zombie um, that did a cool music video with uh, G.I. Joe figures recreating the thing, mm. stop motion. Uh, they do, they, I don't know if they sampled or they just came up with their own rhythms that sounded just like tracks from this soundtrack. Uh, really cool stuff. They're, they're clearly fans of Fabio Frizzi as well. I mean, who and when you say right? his name, you have to Fritzi. You have to like enunciate and, and kind of like th- thrust yourself in the sky. <laughs> Should we talk about the cast? Absolutely. Let's let's get into it with uh, Mia. Starting with Mia Farrow's sister, huh? Yeah. So <laughs> Tisa Farrow. Yeah, she didn't have a huge career. Um, God, when she looks at the camera directly, I have this. I have a really hard time with people who look directly in the camera. I know it's a choice that directors made. They did it in Silence of the Lambs, and they do it in one of the Transfers movies. It might be like part three, where they they're talking directly into the camera to the character. It's so dis disarm like it's so uh, annoying. <laughs> I don't like it. It's something that I'm not a fan of. So when she looks at the camera, I'm like, I don't really like you that much. And it's funny that she's top build because she's my least favorite character in the movie. And I don't 
necessarily Same. fault the actress for that because I don't think that the script gives her really anything to do other than stare off into the distance. And I note it multiple times in my script breakdown here that she's staring off into the distance. Like, it's her thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I find the funny thing is I find her to be annoying, but she's the lead. And But the thing is, she's not – she's in the movie the whole way. But there's moments where I sort of sh- just forget that she exists because she's not doing anything. Like, none of the action kind of revolves around her. Like, someone else is always fighting a zombie. Um, you know, Not always, but for the most part. And then, at the same time, she also has, like, no agency over anything that she's doing whatsoever. No. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, I mean, I just... She doesn't do. She doesn't do it for me. I get it. I get that she's the lead. I get that she's supposed to be the main kind of character because it's her father that... She's looking for. Um, I find the supporting actors so much more yeah. uh, enjoyable, and I want to know their backstory more than I want to know hers. Yeah, personally. I, yeah, me, me too, dude. I mean, honestly, anytime I think of this movie, I think of Ian McCullough as the lead. Uh, Peter West, you know, to me, he's the main character. Yeah, I'm not a huge Ian McCullough fan. Um, he was in a really cool BBC television show called Survivors. And it, it, get, it it's the first thing that comes up when you look his name up on IMDb. If you've never seen Survivors, we may need to bring it to TV Obscura because it's a really cool, like, post-apocalyptic type show. Um, another show ahead of its time, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. That came up in the documentary um, because I believe Fulci or the casting director saw him in Survivors, and that's why they brought him into Zombie. Um, I saw him in 1980s contamination uh which i watched about i think i watched during covid during quarantine it was i was on a kick of watching movies that i I hadn't seen like from this time period and uh yeah watch i watched contamination it was fine it was okay it wasn't uh it wasn't the greatest thing i'd ever seen i love when people are like if you liked alien you'll love contamination and it's more like Sometimes when you sit on the toilet, you go pee and poop. <laughs> it's and they both can be equally satisfying. <laughs> but one is totally different from the other. One is alien is very different than contamination. Yes. Just saying. Um, yeah, Ian, Ian McCullough is funny. I, I, was, I was feeling bad for him. I'm like. His hair? You no, know, his hair. Yeah. I was feeling bad for him. And I'm like, you should have died. You should have died, and someone else should have lived. But we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah, I love him so much. Al Cliver should have fucking lived for sure. Al Cliver should have fucking lived. And we'll just talk about him really quickly. Yeah. Uh, he plays Brett Hull. No, sorry, Brian Hull, <laughs> not the uh, St. Louis Blues hockey player. Uh, he's so good. He he's an Egyptian. He was born in Egypt. Oh, okay. uh, I think he most of his movies were like Italian type films. Um, the, the guy's good. He, he's, he's a good, you know, second in command reminds me of another kind of character we're going to see in uh, my next pick, believe it or not for, um, podcasting after dark, which you can hear, find out what that pick is ahead of time before anyone else. If you sign up for our Patreon exclusive series, uh, wrap up after dark along with the carpenter factor go to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark if you are already a subscriber like dylan laurie just became a subscriber shout out to dylan um thank you thank you thank you 
And if you are considering it, pull the trigger like Richard Johnson, a.k.a. Dr. Menard does on those zombies in the head. <laughs> I guess uh, Brian Hall does too. Brian Hall shoots a bunch of zombies too, but not in the head necessarily. No. Not no. all of them. Think, Only a couple. I think Richard Johnson does a better job, but good plug. I was trying to see how you were going to tie it all back together, and you know what? I tried. It was hard, but I did it. <laughs> you, you brought it back. You brought it back to uh, Richard Johnson. Yeah, I, I actually I really liked him. I also liked He's his uh, crazy ear hair. That was very enjoyable. He had like a HD dude. He had like a five o'clock shadow around his fucking ear holes, man. That shit was fucking wild. But I enjoyed the gravitas. You know what? He wasn't that gra- like grandiose. Like I thought his he actually played it very sort of under grandiose, but still keeping it pretty fucking like leveled. That is what I'm trying to say. Like grounded. I, I felt he he was kind of grounded in a sort of. Uh, you know, Island of Dr. Moreau way. Like, he could have been over the top, but I like the way Richard Johnson played Dr. Menard. Yeah, I don't. I didn't get the sense that he was this psycho. I got no. the sense that he was just this doctor that fell into these un, unfortunate circumstances and was trying to make the best of it. I think the only person in the movie that really hated him was his wife. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> yeah, because she's way too hot for him, that's why. <laughs> Out of his league! <laughs> Dude, like... I mean, he's like an older dude that's like, he's like, I don't know, 7.5. She's like a fucking 20-year-old 9 or a 10. It's like, holy shit. And she's stuck on this fucking island. I am, I am of course, we're going out of order here, but I'm, of course, talking about Olga Carlados, who doesn't. Yes, un- one, of, one of the first to get naked in this film. Not the first, but one of two. <laughs> Well, one of yeah, uh, yeah, only two, right? Okay, yeah, her yes. and her and Susan, pretty much. Um, but Olga, she didn't actually have a lot of credits under her belt, except she was in Purple Rain. Wow, really? Yeah, that's that's, that's cool. As mother. Oh, oh, Mufa. <laughs> well, she's great in this for her limited amount of time. When she stares off into the distance, it feels like it means something, right? <laughs> Versus Tisa. Tisa. Yeah, she. I feel like Olga brought more gravitas to the role than uh, Tisa did. I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Aretta Gay, who plays Susan, also brings a level of gravitas. And looks like she needed some sunscreen, too, by the way. She was getting sunburnt. Yeah, dude, she was bronzed. Apparently, apparently the thing is to uh, swim topless when you are a uh, in, in an Italian film. <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not either, but um, you know, it's uh I was like, "Oh, and that's an interesting swimming cap she's wearing on her head. It looks like it could probably uh, clean food off dishes, too." She had more <laughs> fabric on the top of her head than she had anywhere on her body. Uh kind of reminded me of the movie The Deep. Uh who was that um Jacqueline Bisset? In yes. that one, with the whole famous, you know, uh, see-through top uh, scuba diving scene and everything. Yes, yes, and and I think uh, again, once again, the my follow-up to this film, my next pick on podcasting after dark, shares a similarity to this as well in the female lead, not fully, but like partially. Yeah. Yeah, I I know what what movie it is, and uh, yeah, there are going to be some some similarities. Uh, do you want to call it Nurse Clara Stefania Demario? 
Sure. I mean, uh, is she no? Is she notable for anything? The English patient. Besides she was. This? She was worked on the art department for that. So clearly, she does not have uh, a lot of uh, uh, credits under her belt. Yeah. I mean, look. This is a. This is one of those movies that does not have a memorable cast outside of a few uh, standouts. You know that went on to have bigger, went on to have consistent careers after this. But this feels like, uh, you know, it's an independent film, so to speak, with an independent film type cast. Yeah, and it should be noted that it was filmed in like in like a month, and then like came out like three months later. So they really fast tracked this movie. But I don't think that uh, I don't think that that shows. You know what I mean? Like to me, it feels like a very competently made uh, feature film. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I feel like it's um, it's got moments in it that we'll obviously talk about that don't uh, that that go a little long. But outside of that, it's it's a dreamlike film. Fulci was so good at capturing like a dreamlike quality with his movies, and so if you are a fan of that. You will love this movie. If you are not a fan of dreamlike films and like things more straightforward, uh, then you may not enjoy this film. To be honest with you, I think I think it, you have to embrace the fact that this movie is like, it's a fever dream. It's not. It's 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 not Dawn of the Dead. It's not um, Twenty Eight Days Later. It's not. You know, I'm trying to think of different types of zombie movies in in the in, in the past decades that we've seen it it has its own vibe to it and then it was often imitated afterwards i mean what zombie 3 zombie 4 yeah um so many movies that kind of just ripped off the same premise and they were enjoyable in their own way but this one sets the bar at its particular style yeah you like you said you have to embrace uh, the fever dreamness of it. You have to embrace embrace the absurdity of it. Um, yeah, I, I think you're you're correct in that aspect, and maybe that is one of the things that I always liked about Fulci and didn't really put my my finger on it. I think you know the Beyond is kind of his culmination of that dreamlike horror oh, and everything. Yeah. You know, totally. But it's nice that he was able to insert some of that dreamlike horror into a what would could just have been a standard run of the mill zombie movie that just faded off into obscurity. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I love island zombie movies. I think I've yet to see one that's been made by Americans outside of the last five minutes of Dawn of the Dead. Right. That was any good (laughs) because they haven't done a good one yet that's taken place on an island in the past 20 years. No, you're you're right. Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things is the only American island zombie movie that, in my opinion, is good. Yeah, because House of the Dead fucking sucked ass, so agreed. It sure did. <laughs> Yui Ball. That's a, amazing how certain people can get movies made and get their name on them. And hoofa doofa. Fail upward, you know? <laughs> yeah, fail, God bless him. God bless him, as Jack Burton would say. Um, yeah, I, I let's should we pull the trigger on this? Just what we'd like to know. 
One more step and I'm gonna blast you. Now freeze where you are! Yes, it's my father's boat. And uh, how long since you last spoke to him? Well, we have to go to Matul. We're trying to locate Anne's father. She hasn't heard from him for some time. That's not a cool place to hit. Raiders claim it's cursed. They avoid it like the plague. I'm going to tell everyone that you're the one who's crazy. Demented, cruel, evil son. What exactly did my father die of, Dr. Minoy? And the boat's crew, what happened to them? Well, what's this about the dead coming back to life again and having to be killed a second time? These islands, fantastic legends, voodooism, zombies, been rife for centuries. Voodoo's just superstitious horseshoe. Well, whatever it is, it makes the dead stand up and walk. I've seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> When the earth spit out the dead, they will come back to suck the blood from the living. Stand up and walk. The movie opens with a shot of a man pointing a pistol at the camera. The man is fully in shadow. We see a person completely wrapped in a white sheet from head to toe and tied up with a rope, slowly sit up from the bed they were laying on. The man fires his gun and blows a hole through the sheet where the person's head is. Blood splatters everywhere. The man says, the boat can leave now. Tell the crew. And then, boom, zombie comes up on the screen. Dude, love a cold open like this, man. Yeah, awesome. So awesome. So awesome. By the way, I think I, you to piggyback on what you said about zombies that, that freak you out, the ones where their eyes are closed, I equally say um, zombies that are unidentifiable to me are more 
terrifying. So people like that are of a different region in the world outside of the U.S. are more terrifying to me because I'm just like, oh, I just can imagine the horrors that they went through up until this point. Yeah. Versus American zombies who are like, you know, looking like people. I'm not a huge fan of that. Right. With like their eyes, pupils and all that stuff. Right. Like like the George Romero style zombie, which, you know, obviously that kind of coincides with the point George Romero was trying to make with, you know, his movies is that the, these zombies are us. So I think he wanted them to look like us just with like, you know, pale blue skin and stuff like that. Whereas here, these zombies are like, it's just mud is caked on them. They have all kinds of just wounds and deformities because like some of them are like years old and everything. And I, I'm with you. I like the zombies that are just, just horrific and you're just like what damage happened to you to look like this you know and stuff like that what happened to you man like some of the zombies in um children shouldn't play with dead things i think fit more with with this than than uh the ramiro ones yeah and i think the living dead at manchester morgue also too let's see let sleeping corpses lie yeah, that's uh, it's another one I love, and that's another one that we will get to. You know, it might be like season six or something like that, but we'll we'll get there for sure because I fucking love that movie, and I know Zach does as well. Yeah, we'll get there. An awesome score by Fabio Fritzi and Giorgio Tucci kicks in while the credits play over a black background. Uh, interestingly enough, Richard Johnson is the only person to have a border, like a white border around his name. Yeah, what do you th- what do you get from that i think i think that's kind of like you know how like some some actors will request you know their name to be at the end of the the credits and be like you know and drew barrymore you know like or featuring so you know what i mean and i think that was just a way of bumping his credit up a little bit because i think he is probably the most seasoned actor in in the movie can you put a white box around my name do you want do you want starring? Um, no, I would like a white box. It makes it stand out. That's what I was thinking. It makes me stand out. <laughs> Your ear okay. hair also makes you stand out, too. Yes, it does. But people will pay for my ear hair. <laughs> Dude, this reminds me of, man, back in the day. We've talked about it so many times before, but, like, how guys didn't groom anything that wasn't, like, their beard. So they had, like, unibrows and, you know what I mean, and ear yeah, hair sticking I, out. My God, I have one little hair, and I'm like, oh, I got to pull it out. Got to pull it out. <laughs> I, I do. I, I do get one really long one, like, on my earlobe, and I just, like, I pluck it. But sometimes it'll grow, like, overnight. Guys and gals, welcome to the old man uh, uncle corner of <laughs> Podcast After Dark. <laughs> Gray, gray hair down below. (laughs) Cut to an abandoned sailing yacht floating through the New York Harbor. It almost gets hit by the Staten Island Ferry. The Harbor Patrol is called out to investigate. As they pull up next to the yacht, the police officer uses the bullhorn to hail the vessel. When they get no reply, they determine the sailboat is abandoned. The helicopter circling the sailboat radios back to headquarters. The Harbor Patrol is about to board now. Still no signs of life. Skipper of that craft must be a real turkey. (laughs) First off, I just love, uh, you know, you must be a real turkey. Um, But also, I got to admit, 
Fulci, man, he knows how to use his budget because he never films the helicopter. He just uses the helicopter that they rented to get the aerial shots. But then sometimes he'll add a propeller noise to it, to, to the camera work. And then you're like, oh, now we're looking at the view from the helicopter. But we never yeah. actually see like the the police helicopter fly over. I was like this is just like this is just a, a genius use of your budget and I think proof that Fulci knows where to put his money and where he realizes like you don't no no one needs to see the police helicopter. You can just use the same same, you know, helicopter that we're filming with essentially. Suspension of disbelief in Hollywood? Wow. <laughs> Expertly crafted. Yes. Could you CGI some hair upon my head? No, Ian. <laughs> please. Please. Oh, God. His poor hair. I, when I grew my hair out uh, long, it was it looked like that. It just, like, flopped over. And I was like, oh, I'm glad I shaved it. <laughs> you got a good head. You got a good head. I do. I do. The two police officers walk onto the abandoned sailing yacht. One of them is almost hit by this falling sail due to a broken winch. The officer that almost got hit says he'll fix it and orders the other officer below deck. Hey, go check it out, eh? Hey. I love the the, uh, the the bad dubbing in this. Well, it's not bad. It's just it's comical. You know, you get used to it as the movie progresses, but it is pretty silly. Because this is the two Italian guys, you know, but they got these really thick, like, New York accents. And if this is your first experience with Italian horror, you have to sort of understand that everything is going to be dubbed because over there when they film, uh, they don't roll sound because some actors are speaking English, some actors are speaking uh, Italian. Uh, like, for example, the the news chief in this will be speaking Italian, and that's also played by Lucio Fulci. Um, sure is. But that's the norm over there. And we, you and I have both heard horror stories of an Amer of American film crews trying to like film in Italy and their rolling sound and you know crew members are talking and, and banging on things and they're like what the fuck is going on but over there sort of the industry standard because they have such an eclectic mix of international actors speaking yeah. different languages they just dub everything in post-production and they don't roll any sound on set so like you can literally having gaffers be hanging shit while like hammering shit while you're doing a scene you know right yeah and you'll like oftentimes you're like well what's the original you know in um jackie chan movies for example you want to hear the original uh dialect in the film they don't have that for italian westerns horror stuff like that it's just well no it's the dub version yeah yeah exactly and 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 that has its pluses and minuses. It makes it easier, yeah. I think, to send them out internationally because you're just you can just dub any language you want. But the minuses is, you know, the, it's all foleyed. Like all the sound is foleyed, so there's like not a lot of natural sound and stuff. And it, it it can be jarring if you're not used to it. I think that's what we're just we're saying basically. Yes, absolutely. But you get used to it after a while. As the officer descends the stairs, he's met by a foul odor. He looks around in disgust and sees trash and half-eaten food scattered all around the cabin. Flies fill the air around him. He investigates further and finds a severed hand on the small couch. As he's looking down in horror, a large zombie busts through the cabin door and tackles the police officer. As he's fighting the creature, he tears off a rotten piece of flesh from the creature's arm. 
The zombie then bites the officer's throat and tears away a huge chunk of flesh. Blood sprays everywhere as he screams. Dude, the him ripping off like the piece of chunk from the zombie's arm was awesome. And then just a lot of throat ripping in this movie. A lot of throat ripping. Courtesy of a big bulbous George the Animal Steel. He always looked like George the Animal Steel to me. Or he kind of looked like Tor, you know, from Plan 9 yeah. from Outer Space. But then again, yep. George the Animal Steel also kind of looked like Tor as well. I think he played him in the um, in the Ed Wood remake. I think you're right. I, I the By the way, Ed Wood, Ed Wood, great movie. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Up on the deck, the other officer hears the commotion and drops what he's doing. He looks over to see the large, blood-covered zombie slowly climb the ladder and walk towards him. The officer draws his gun and tells the ghoul to stop moving. The zombie keeps coming, and the cop unloads all six shots into his body. The creature falls off the boat and into the harbor as the camera pans up to see the New York skyline. And again, this is your first how you first see these zombies, and I think it's an accurate representation of what we're going to see because it's just his eyes are closed, slowly lumbering forward, and just also like caked in mud and gore and, and just viscera, and just he just looks fucked up, you know? Yeah, this looks disgusting. Cut to a busy newspaper office. The news editor, played by Lucio Fulci, is on the phone talking about the abandoned boat. He jots down some info and says he'll put someone on it. The chief calls Peter West, played by Ian McCullough, into his office. Are you busy now, Limey? Peter says that depends. I'm going to give you an assignment. Get over to Pier 15. There's a story there. Again, he's speaking in Italian, but he's dubbed in English, so it's not matching up, you know? Peter asks if, uh, if it's something big. Boat without anyone on it. Cop killed. Poke around a bit. See what you can find. Peter says you'll let him know what he finds. The chief adds, West, keep the British out of your prose, huh? Don't take advantage of the fact that your uncle bought the paper. Peter smiles and says, as if I would. Right off the bat, I'm a little like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm really digging Peter all that much. He's kind of a silver spoon guy. Little douchey, maybe? Yeah, a little douchey. And then he, man, does he whine later when he injures himself. <laughs> I can't walk. <laughs> With a giant fucking hole in your leg, too. <laughs> yeah, come on. Man up. Man up. Come on, man. Cut to Pier 15, and the abandoned boat is crawling with cops and forensics people. Crawling with cops. We see a we see a crowd of onlookers being held back by the off by an officer and his cruiser. Of course, my, one of my favorite things is just seeing the fashion from like 1978 and everything. Oh, it's great. <laughs> and the cars and everything too, you know. Mm-hmm. On the boat below deck, we see Anne Bowles, played by Tissa Farrow, talking to detectives. She looks <laughs> she looks in shock. Her natural state the entire fucking movie, and I'll keep huh? calling it out. <laughs> huh? That's what I feel like she's always doing. Huh? I mean, you should, you guys have to see the video that I'm looking at. Zach. He's so right. Like, her eyes are, like, halfway open. What? Huh? And, yes, like, that's – this is also directing. This is also Fulci's directing. Yeah. This is also – the writing doesn't really give her much to do. But at the same time, I can kind of see why she didn't pop like her sister did, you know? Yeah. Although I do kind of find her a bit more attractive than Mia Farrow. I was never a 
big Mia Farrow fan, but I do like Rosemary's Baby. I think that's a I don't know. Cool the, movie. This Tisa has like bags under her eyes throughout this thing where I'm just like, my God, did she get any sleep? I don't think she did. No. <laughs> she said, I got paid. I got paid $20 an hour. And I didn't sleep at all. No. She says, yes, it's my father's boat. One of the detectives asks, where's your father now? Anne says she doesn't know and was hoping you could they could tell her. She hasn't heard from him in over a month. Another detective asks how long it's been since she spoke to him. Even though he she just said that. Anne says three <laughs> yeah, months. I caught that too. <laughs> Anne says three Not the tightest script in the world, guys. It's okay. This is nope. like, I mean, this is still kind of a B movie. I mean, essentially, you know? Well, I, yeah, you're going to have another moment with uh, with her, with Peter later. He's like, I just told you what I just. <laughs> I just, I just told you my name. <laughs> Three months, uh, when he set sail for the Antilles uh, to join some friends. Wedge Antilles from Star Wars. Will, will someone please tell me what the hell is going on? The first detective says, "We already have man hiding on the boat." <laughs> Which was adrift, killed a member of the Coast Guard. Not the Coast Guard, Harbor Patrol, but okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> this script is wild, guys. <laughs> Anne, Anne asks what happened to her father, and the second detective says menacingly, That's just what we'd like to know, Miss Bowles. Anne stares at the camera in shock. So, again, her natural state. So, I watched she this. Scares, she stares directly at the camera, which is really disarming it's really disturbing for me i'm like don't look at me don't look at me and it's a weird cut too because the music kind of swells and then it cuts immediately when when we cut to the the next scene but i do want to add that i watched this with my wife myra um wasn't sure how she was gonna take it because i know that the the women in this movie aren't gonna be the strongest she quite enjoyed it but she did remark that yeah, uh, Anne was not, like, one of her favorite characters, and, she, you know, the women weren't the strongest room. But one thing I love to death about my wife is she she's like, it's of the time. She understands that it's of the time and, you know, kind of doesn't ding it for it. But uh, overall, she very much enjoyed the movie. But here, here, this exact scene, this exact moment, this weird cut, she called this out. She was like, why is she just staring at the camera? And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm not a fan of, of that style of directing i've seen it done by jonathan demi with the silence of the lambs when starling is talking to uh agent um her boss scott glenn's character they're like looking directly into the camera it's so weird i'm like who you wait we are not the we are not the protagonist we are not (laughs) why why are you doing that all of a sudden it doesn't make any sense at all it's a choice i'm not a fan of it and, of course, we're going to call out all the silliness of this movie because it has a yeah. lot of it, and we're breaking down the entire film, so we will. So fuck you and thank you. But that does not take away from the love that I have for this no, movie. No, no. It's it's just you sort of take it with the – It's I mean, it's, it's all the mystery science theater shit back in the day. It's like these are the kind of movies, you know, you sort of would make fun of, but this one this one's different. This one would still leave you, you know, scared at the end of it. Yes, yes. Cut to the New York Medical Examiner's office. An autopsy is being performed on the police officer that had his throat ripped out by the fat zombie on the boat. The two doctors can't understand why a rush was placed on the autopsy, though. One doctor asks the other if he's examined the body yet. 
I made one or two notes. In my opinion, the death of the poor bastard was caused by a massive hemorrhage due to a huge laceration of the jugular. The other doctor asks if he has a hypothesis for the cause of the injury. The first examiner shakes his head no. The other one very condescendingly, like, makes his finger, like, come over here. It's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Take a look at these edges. To me, it's quite obvious what caused it. There appear to be clear indications of one or more bites. The first doctor looks closely at the wound but shakes his his head again. The other doctor asks for a scalpel, but then chastises him for how poorly he kept his instruments. <laughs> it's like a silly little scene, but really the takeaway of it is, as the doctors argue about the scalpel, the camera pans down to the body, and we see it start to move under the white medical sheet. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's this is one of those movies that is very small like in its sort of cast and in what we see but it's yep. in sort of maybe the scope but big things are happening around it yeah i yep it's subtle things that you pick up on you're like well not subtle because the camera pans over to it but precursors to big things on the horizon correct yep and if you know you're a fan of zombie movies you can probably see where this is going to go Yes. Later that night at Pier 15, a lone police officer is guarding the boat slash crime scene. Now, this was hilarious. We see Anne comically sneak past him by ducking behind a trash can and then board the ship. Myra thought this was the most ridiculous part. Oh, not the disco music that's about to follow? I don't even know what that music was. I don't even have it in the notes because I was like, I don't even, I almost. <laughs> Put it out of my mind because I don't understand the music that's happening in the scene. Is it diegetic music? Is it like coming from that police officer's radio? Or I thought it was from his car. Okay, so it's not music that's supposed to just be accompanying the scene. It's music that's actually in the world itself. I think so. Yeah. Oofa loofa. Because and and the reason I sort of was questioning that because later the chants and the drumming, it's hard to tell when it's like a part of the score and when it's actually the characters can hear it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, because don't they say, do you hear that? Right. Yeah. Voodoo music. I'm yeah, like, and at some what? point, you... at they, they do. Like at some point they do, but there's also some times where you think, I think it's just a part of the score and like they yes. don't actually hear it. No. Weird. <laughs> one month. <laughs> yeah, guys and gals, made in one month. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again fever dream like you don't not everything has to match up exactly and again does not take away from an iota of the love that i have for this movie Anne is searching for clues below deck when a hand shoots out of the shadows and grabs her the hand covers her mouth so she doesn't scream it's peter west don't scream there's nothing to be afraid of well i don't know yet (laughs) my name is peter west and i'm a reporter i'm gonna take my hand away and you're not gonna scream okay Anne nods and lets her go. I'm sorry if I... Anne nods and he lets her go. I'm sorry if I frightened you. But if I hadn't done that, you'd... But if I hadn't done that, you'd have screamed for sure, and our friend up there would have been on to both of us. Anne asks what he's doing on her father's boat. Peter says he's been following her all afternoon. He's not buying the official police report that he doesn't think Anne... He's not buying the police report, and he doesn't think Anne is e- is either, since she's sneaking onto the boat as well. And this was the scene where she was like, who are you? And he's like, I just told you, I'm Peter West. 
I'm Peter West. Look, I've got a great idea. I want to lay down with you. This is, <laughs> yeah. is going to fool everyone. We're going to lay down on this bed here, you see? And then next thing you know, we're going to be making out like we're <laughs> having the most passionate lovemaking session in the world. My pants gonna are going to come off. <laughs> my, my pants will come off and my, well, my genitalia will probably fall into the nether region. But I must assure you, this is for the greater good. This is to keep us away from the police officers. <laughs> or as I like to call, the cock blockers. <laughs> the new book, Cock Blockers by David Irons, coming soon. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Peter asks Anne uh, what she's looking for. She gets pissed and says he has a lot of nerve. Peter chuckles and replies, you're not so bad yourself. Let me put it this way. I've got some information. You've got some information. Why don't we just throw it together and see what we can come up with? Because I think I've already found what you're looking for. He takes a letter out of his jacket pocket and shows it to her. Anne reaches for the letter but knocks over a lamp, causing the cop on duty to come down and investigate. When she asks... What they're going to do, Peter says he has an idea, but he'll need her help. Unless, of course, you want to be explaining to some judge what you were doing on your father's boat in the middle of the night. Just do what I tell you, okay? See Zach's entire comment that he just made two seconds ago. <laughs> Look, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. It's, it keep you out of jail. Would you rather be in the pokey, getting poked, or would you rather be with me, with a different kind of pokey? It's a great idea that involves me taking off my pants, but... You're not. You're not going to have to, so don't worry no, about it. No, you don't it. have to. It's okay. I can get you pregnant through your clothes. What? <laughs> I can get you, get you pregnant with my voice. <laughs> <laughs> the police officer, so she agrees, of course. The police officer, does, because because she's a woman in an Italian horror film in the 1970s, she agrees to whatever plan Peter West has because she has yep. no agency over herself. Look, I'll do everything you tell me to do, except I won't get naked, but I'll do everything else. That's okay. It's okay. We'll, we'll make it work. Yeah. She, she gets close. I, kind of, I was trying to look down her top one a couple of times. I was like, oh, that's good. no, but no, there's nothing there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so easy to see. Strikes again. <laughs> oh, a little Cory Gory. <laughs> the police officer descends the stairs to the lower deck with his flashlight on. He slowly makes his way through the darkness until he hears... Until he hears moaning, he shines his flashlight to the bed and sees Peter and Anne making out, or pretending to at least. The officer says, don't give me the same old story. Anne says, it was his idea, not mine. Peter says, listen to her, Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. Well, whose idea was it to have a romantic setting down by the water? I'd have settled for an empty boxcar. Anne says, oh no, never again, not another boxcar. She shakes... (laughs) She takes after her mother. They're both bananas. The cop watches the pretend couple fight, then tells them to get lost. As they leave, Anne says goodnight to the officer twice. Yeah, it's really weird. She's like, goodnight, officer. And he's like, get out of here. And then she looks back. She's like, goodnight. And then it's like it cuts. And I'm like, (laughs) why? You didn't need that second. Why? Why? And get some sleep. (laughs) Seriously. And also a boxcar, like... Are they? Is, was was his idea for them to be like a married couple? Like, whoa, you know what I mean? We like to do. We last time we were at a food bank in a cardboard box. It was amazing. You remember how great that was, darling? Yeah, and the hypodermic hypodermic needles were next to us. Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, you take and after then, your mother, your bananas, both of you. Well, 
<laughs> your mother was my first. You're my second. I, I always al- say the seconds are better than the first. It almost sounded like <laughs> that. It almost sounded when he's like she takes after her mother that that he had been with her as well. I mean, a, this was all a fantasy that he made up, but there's so many like layers to it. You know, it's so gross. It's so gross. He's just like it's so gross. Like, there's a honey bucket down the street. Why don't we make use of that? Like honey bucket, you know, chili pumper. Like if this is your plan, that it's like it's it's insight into his brain, basically. You know, he's yeah. a perv. Like uh, he look, he's gonna come down here. We're gonna be having sex, and 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 it's gonna work. Okay, because I'm in an Italian horror film. <laughs> okay, I have no agency. Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Cut to Peter talking to his editor on the payphone. It's dawn, and he's reading the letter while Anne <laughs> listens and looks forward in shock. Again, her natural state. <sighs> to my daughter Anne, in case anything should happen to me, due to my morbid curiosity, I have managed to contract a strange disease, and they are taking care of me as if I were some sort of guinea pig. But I know I'll never leave this island again, at least not alive. I haven't been a good father, but I have always loved you. One last kiss from dad. Gross. And then, so he's reading it. Then he says, then, you know, Peter says, Matul. And it's dated 15th September. Peter says he knows there's some connection that ties it all together. His father, her father, the disease, the boat, and the guy that got killed. The newspaper chief agrees to send them on the investigation. And Peter reminds him. To take care of the tickets. Make sure we make it back okay. Take care of the tickets. Duty, 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 do. <laughs> Y'all beautiful, man. <laughs> what are you, fucking Cary Grant? Of course I'm Cary Grant. Duty, 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 do. Not with that. You don't that look hairline. like Cary Grant. Not with that. Yeah. More like Ted Danson. Yes. <laughs> Cut to Anne and Peter at the airport getting ready to depart for the Dominican Republic. The airport lounge is 70s-tastic. Oh, it is amazing. Amazing. The lounge seats are not, you know, the seats now all look the same. These are like Art Deco style. It's beautiful. Dude, this scene is literally maybe a minute and a half long. But pound for pound, I didn't blink. Like, I was just, like, looking everywhere. I was like, look at that guy's hair. Look at that guy's outfit. Look at those chairs. Look at that. It's just, it is amazing. Well, it's interesting you say that it's a minute and a half long because everything that needs to happen in this scene is probably 10 seconds long. Yep. And then the camera just holds yep. on this because the camera was the director. Fulci was probably like, look at how awesome this airport is. It's great. Yeah, it's fucking great. Let's do it. Let's just keep the camera there. It's great. And you're not wrong, man. Like, it's actually a really cool fucking shot and in a yeah. beautiful location. So I can see him be like, well, we, I mean, we got everything we needed, but keep the shot going. Just keep following them till they walk out. And, and it might be padding for the movie, but I think it's awesome padding. At least the padding's beautiful. Right. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. 
We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. (laughs) Cut to, we know we're in the Dominican Republic because island music is playing as the cab picks up Peter and Anne from the airport. Because of course, right? Of course they're playing the island music. We know where we are now, you know? Yeah, this is the only time when, well, not the only time, but this is the only time when, uh, one of the main times when, like, the music's a little like too generic for me like it's so commercialized generic stuff it this music doesn't feel like it was by the the the, you know fabio fritti doing the score it feels like they just pulled it from yeah like free to use you know copyright free you know sort of caribbean music essentially i get that well i in my opinion if if a film like this which has such a dark tone the music should continue the dark tone throughout. Yeah. It shouldn't break and suddenly have like happy celebration, you know, Caribbean music. Especially since it's going to kick back into like having an ominous tone when they when they depart, uh, you know, as well. So I'm, I'm with you. They should have kept the, you know, we should never. Yeah, that if I could if I could change one thing or have one critique of this amazing movie is that the upbeat stuff, I would have just kept the the intensity and the terror the entire time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I would have had the music be more ominous here still and everything. Yeah. Instead, this makes me well, not it's not a bad thing. It makes me want to go to the Caribbean now. Yeah, it's exactly. It makes me want to go back and watch uh, High Tide and One One West Waikiki and uh, oh. fucking Key West. Go listen to our TV Obscure episode from last yeah, week. Yeah, do it. Uh, and then hard ticket to Hawaii. It's not paradise all the time. Thank you, Aaron, for that uh, gift. Yes. <laughs> Peter asked the driver if he knows anyone they can rent a boat from. The driver says it's not easy to find a boat here. Peter says they need to get to Matul. It's very important. He's willing to pay whatever it costs. I can take you to Matul right now. <laughs> Matul's Put your my hand pants. Out. I will give you Matul right now. <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking about. I'll show you. Oh, that's not what I expected. But I'll take it. I'm surprised I didn't go, go there with that. <laughs> We want to go to Matul. Peter hands the driver a few large bills, and he smiles and says, Just now I remember something. This morning, a friend of mine says, Two Americans, they cruise the islands. A short time later, the cab pulls up on a beautiful tropical beach and drops off Peter and Anne. The driver points out the boat the two Americans are using. He suggests that Peter ask the owner to take them to Matul, or in the Matul in his pants. As Peter and Anne walk towards the dock, the driver asks, Pedro, not help you good, senor? And holds out his hand. Peter gives him more money and says thanks. Money goes a long way. It sure does. Now the movie's about to get good. 
Peter and Anne walk up to Brian and Susan, our two favorite characters, who are loading supplies onto the boat. Susan is wearing a see-through top the entire scene. <laughs> and it kind of weirdly happens to be wet at some point as well. Yeah, and, uh, well, is it is it this scene or is it later on when Peter, he just can't take his eyes off her? Oh, that, that'll be when she's she's uh, getting ready to go scuba diving. Yeah, That's I, right. I noted that. But, yeah, we will discuss that in length in a second. I'm what my name is Peter pervert Peter that was my name in high school it still rings true today it's still applicable today just because I have a British ha- British accent doesn't mean I'm a p- pervert Peter. <laughs> I love it. it's so true it's it's a it's about to be so fucking true uh, pervert Peter introduces he and Anne to the two Americans. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to call him that from now on. And they return the jester. Peter says, We're he- we hear you're going on a tour of the islands. Brian says, yeah, a little cruise. Two months. Yeah, a little cruise. Two months of fishing, bathing, and sunshine. Now, Zach, I know it's all dubbed. Bright Hall, yeah. <laughs> I swear to God I recognize the guy doing Brian's vo and i don't is it the actor is he doing his own i don't think it is okay I think it's so no. i swear to fucking god i recognize the guy who's doing brian's voice specifically i, I don't know from where it's, to me it sounds like something from like maybe robotech or some cartoon or something but i think it's also a voice that's probably been used many times in italian horror films I, so that's probably the easy answer. Yeah, I mean, because I, I think P- Ian McCullough does his own, uh, and and so does Tisa. They do their own dubbing. Okay, their own ADR. But I don't know about uh, about Brian Brett Hull. Yeah. I think uh, that's definitely not his voice. It doesn't feel like it, you know. But no, but it's a recognizable voice. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I mean, who who knows? I mean, it could also be from like Hong Kong cinema or something, you know, as well. All, totally. all that dub yeah. stuff back in the day. Um, oh, you you recognize this voice before? Like the same like kind of smarmy bad guy. Right. He's always in every <laughs> single uh, Bruce Lee movie back in the day. It was like the same voice. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, Peter says they have to go to Matul. Brian and Susan look at each other. Oh, Matul. Need to go through Matul. Peter goes on. We're trying to locate Anne's father. She hasn't heard from him in some time. Brian says, Matul, that's not a cool place to head. The natives claim it's cursed. They avoid it like the plague. Peter admits that they have to go there all the same. Brian says, and you want to ride from us? If that's possible, Peter replies. Brian asks if they have any experience with boats. Peter says yes, and Anne says she was born on a boat. So, you know, so that no, means she she's, wasn't. She's, she's going to do some awesome stuff on the boat, right? Like, she's actually, like, this is going to be her thing, right? She's actually going to do something, right? Right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. She's, she's, yeah, born on a boat. I was born on a boat. Yeah, clearly. You look like you're seasick all the time. <laughs> she probably was. She probably was. <laughs> Brian looks at Susan. Meanwhile, I would be seasick all the time. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little biatch. <laughs> uh, Brian looks at Susan and she nods. He says, okay, Peter, we'll have to load more supplies. You pay your share. Deal? They shake hands and Brian welcomes him on board. He goes on. I'll warn you right now. Don't expect 
Don't expect us to come sightseeing once we get there. I found it never pays to ignore native superstitions. And yet they get off the boat with them. And da -da 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 -da. Where I come from, we give each other a lovely handshake. What's a lovely handshake? It's where you put your hands down my pants. <laughs> on, on my matul. On my matul. <laughs> they don't call me pervert Peter for nothing. <laughs> pervert Peter. <laughs> I was born on this boat. <laughs> no, you weren't. No, you fucking weren't. <laughs> My God. sister was too. <laughs> like, for, like seriously, like if her character was jettisoned from this entire movie, nothing would change. A, not a single thing would change. No, because because all Peter's got to do is find the note, want to investigate where it came from, yep. in my tool, and you write her whole character off. Yep, pretty much. She serves, yep, that's it. That's it, that's it. We cut to Dr. Menard, played by Richard Johnson, on the island of Matul, using the radio to contact someone. This is Matul calling Guadalupe 1. He gets nothing but static on the other end. And by the way, clearly in, in that scene at the very beginning, um, that was not uh, uh, Richard Johnson playing that shot. You could tell it wasn't him. No. His wife, Olga Carlados, comes out of the room and she says still no luck dr menard says it's useless to go on trying she says then we're cut off from the rest of the world the doctor scoffs and says not hardly i wouldn't say that he walks over to her it's interesting the, the longest scenes are the one are the ones with olga like the longest singular scenes are the ones with her she's fun to look at she's striking she is her those eyes are amazing those eyes <laughs> mrs menard tells him that she wants to leave this damn island right now of course she does she's fucking young and hot and this isn't what you promised roll. me you said this is gonna be fun you said we're going to matul it's not what you think i'm a doctor damn it I need to use a matul on my ear hair yes he's like she wants to leave the island right now. He's like, well, you can't right now. The radio isn't working. He brushes her hair, but she knocks his hand away. How convenient for you. I wouldn't be surprised if you broke it on purpose. No, I mean, he, it's still working, working. He's just not getting anyone. Yeah. Dr. Menard smiles and says, you're tired, and tries to caress her face again. But she shoves his hand away and says, go to hell. Mrs. Uh, Maynard pours herself a tall glass of whiskey takes a swig the doctor's about to leave the house when she asks him david are you going out i have to go to the hospital she asks if they found another one he doesn't reply but she panics and says they have haven't they tell the truth dr Minard tells his wife to calm down she asks where do they find it this time he says that they're on the other side of the island she grabs him by the shirt and dramatically asks when will they reach this side tell me she got a big old vein popping on her forehead too, but yeah, right she does. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's letting it all hang out. <laughs> she sure is. Doctor Maynard says they'll talk after she's rested a bit. There's really no need to agitate yourself so much. Well, she says, "I hate you." <laughs> he replies, "No, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, you just take another pill. You'll be fine." 
Mrs. Maynard looks uh, looks her husband in the eyes and says, Oh, you'd like to be able to pass me off as crazy. Apart from a handful of superstitious natives, I'm the only one who knows what you're doing. And don't think I'm I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to tell everyone what you, that you are the one who's crazy, demented, and cruel, and evil. And he smacks her across the face. <laughs> Dr. Menard walks to the door and says, I'll be at the hospital. She laughs and says, you still see yourself as the scientist you once were, don't you? Well, you're not. You're no better than one of their witch doctors. He yells back that his research, but he's cut off. You call fooling around with superstitions and voodoo rights research? He replies, you know perfectly well that the work I'm doing here is very important, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. She screams, I don't give a damn. I want to. St- I don't want to stay on this island for one more hour. You won't be happy until I meet one of your zombies. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Dr. Maynard tries to comfort her and says, Now look, as soon as I've understood the phenomenon, we'll leave. She sobs and says, I don't believe you, and sits on her bed. The good doctor just looks at her and walks out of the house. The camera slowly zooms in on her eyes while drums start pounding in the distance. So this is an example of, you know, like, well, first off, staring forward. Like you said, she's better at it than than Tissa is. But here, I believe that the drums are a part of the score and she doesn't actually hear them. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I don't think she hears them. So that's what kind of makes it weird that when later the score and the people in, in hear the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be funny if he's like, do you hear those symphonic notes right now? <laughs> he's like, he looks around, he starts humming. Do you hear that? Is that just in my head? <laughs> Outside the house, Dr. Menard asks his gardener to guard the house and to not let anyone near it. And gets is in his the, Land Rover and um, leaves. Manservant. <laughs> yes. See. He, yeah. He, I, I called him gardener right here, but later he's going to refer to him as his manservant. Yes. And he's Spanish too, which was like Myra couldn't figure out where this was supposed to be. You know, because some people are speaking Spanish, but yeah, I guess I guess that's how it is in the Dominican Republic. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not sure, and I don't want to get myself in trouble. Exactly. Cut to Brian, Susan, and Peter and Anne embarking on their journey. We see a young, I guess, Dominican man uh, on the deck. Watch them leave and make the sign of the cross. And this is when the music becomes cool. ominous again. Yep. I like that. I do, too. I do, too. Kind of wish it would have stayed that way during. But the scenes when they're on the Dominic, in the Dominican, it, it, it's only like, what, a total of like four or five minutes. Yeah, it goes by really fast. Back at the Matul Hospital, Dr. Maynard is looking at the blood sample through a microscope. He uses a needle and draws his own blood, then mixes his with the contaminated sample and looks back through the microscope. It's all we get there, guys. It's all we got. I, and I was looking up uh, locations as well. It's It, it t- takes place in the Dominican Republic and, uh, and in uh, Mexico as well. Oh, that's where they filmed it? Yeah, and then in Rome. Is, uh, the studio stuff is in Rome. Yeah. And New York. Yeah, in New York, yeah. And later when they kind of, like, you see the outside of Dr. Menard's house, it doesn't feel like the same island as as the rest of it. And then inside feels like a set, which it probably was. Um, but to me, I thought that was, like, maybe Hawaii or something where they filmed those. Because it's what it looked like to me. It made me want to go there, that's for sure. I mean, it is a beautiful location regardless. Yep. Back on the boat. Here we go. Anne and... 
Pervert Peter are next to Brian at the captain's seat. Anne says they sure were lucky to find them. Brian says, we're sure not having the same kind of luck trying to find this island for you. Peter points at a map and asks, we should be somewhere around here, right? But according to the map, there are no islands for the next 60 miles. Brian says, not necessarily true. There are so many islands around here that a lot have never even been charted. Like the last couple we saw, they're not on any chart. It's all hit and miss. We could spend a month out here. Peter says it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Anne asks, you don't want to go back, do you? Peter says, no, they'll find Matul. That's a promise. Brian says, hey, now look, don't go counting on us forever. Don't forget, we're on vacation. Susan calls to Brian from the deck of the ship, down below, basically. She asks them to stop for a while. She wants to do some scuba diving. Brian agrees and shuts off the boat's engine. Peter and Anne watch. They both watch, but Peter much more intently as Susan Susan takes off her see-through top to reveal only a fucking tiny G-string underneath. She puts on her scuba gear and dives in. And just like I was saying, her cap has more fabric than that fucking G-string. Yeah, her cap is like a scrub brush for for cups. (laughs) It is. It is. Yep. And Pervert Peter, I, I'm, I'm doing a documentary right now, and well, where's your camera? It's in my eyes. What? It's my eyes or the cameras to your soul. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm trying to pick you up, can't you tell? Yeah, it's not working. Damn it. Because my boyfriend is much hotter than you are. And he's right there. He plays hockey for the St. Louis Blues. And it's Brett Hall. <laughs> Sorry. I love your Brett Hall reference because I have no idea who this person is. But well, I don't know who Brett Hall is. He's a Hall of Famer. I'm not a hockey guy. Just, <laughs> who did he play Come for? Come on. St. Louis, the St. Louis Blues. Is that what you just said? Yes. <laughs> right, when, yes. You said when you said Brett Hall hockey, my brain just like, faded. <laughs> You're like, you? I just said it. What is this, a Lucio Fulci movie? I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, Peter does look on. He kind of has like that smirky smile while he's watching her. Oh, we're looking at a naked body. But fucking Brian, not even looking. He's just eating and surveying the horizon. Like I'm like, Jesus, man. He's at that stage of the relationship. Yup. And of course, uh, fucking Anne is just staring off into the distance as the uh, as the camera slowly pans in on her. I was born on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she seems like she, she was as born on a boat as much as I was fucking born on a boat. As in, as in, not at all. And she's never gotten a wink of sleep since she's been born. Apparently, mm-hmm. she's like, why am I not as famous as my sister? Oh, because the the one time I wanted to put you in a movie, but you said, but but you said I creeped you out, and and then I was like, why why would I creep you out? I'm just a I'm just a filmmaker from New York. I I I would never do anything remotely creepy like Pervert Peter over there. By by the way, great name. Just don't tell anybody I said that. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, as <laughs> Mia Farrow's sister, yeah, she must have spent a lot of time with. Woody Allen as well, so, wow. That's a shame for her. Look, look, look. Uh, people call you pervert, Peter. Uh, people just call me Woody. 
Because of the woody in my pants when I get around beautiful women. Because of the matul in my pants. Yes. So, so, but don't tell anybody. By the way, I have a secret compartment under the boat. Uh, you know what's funny? I don't think I've ever seen a Woody Allen movie. Oh, man. Bananas is hilarious. Sleepers, hilarious. You should you would laugh your ass off with those two. Those are funny. You said sleepers. I immediately was like, sneakers? Was No, it was, he said no. sleepers. <laughs> yeah, sleepers is hilarious. You know, the one where the uh, Catholic priest and that. No, it's uh, sleepers <laughs> is from the 70s. It's not sleepers with uh, Kevin Bacon. It's the one in the 70s with Diane Keaton. And it's really funny. Those are two great ones, in my opinion. Sleepers? Are you talking about Flatliners? Nope. Oh, no, there's... Sleepers was the one with uh, Jason Patrick and, and, and uh, yeah. uh, Sean Penn. Yep. And, uh, ah. I can picture it. I, I can picture the VHS cover. Yeah, I know what I you're talking like about. I did not like that movie. Yeah. Sneakers, great movie, though. We both, Sneakers, great movie. You Sneakers, and I both love movie. that one. We love that movie. While Susan is diving, Anne sees an island in the distance and points to it. Peter says they may be in luck. Who's who's to say that isn't Matul? <laughs> I was born on a boat. Look. <laughs> I, was, I was born on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you mind if I scoop that up and put it in a to-go bag? It's, it's what are you, like, Alan? What are you doing on this boat? It's also the fact that when she says I was born on a boat, like she doesn't say it with <laughs> confidence either. You know what I, I mean? I was born on a boat. Ah, <laughs> oh, Tissa. Oh, Tissa. Oh, Tissa. I think it's Tisa. I don't know. I don't care. Whatever. Doesn't I, don't matter. Ca- I, I don't care. I said Tisa in the intro, but <laughs> I don't long, care. As long as you get my name correct, Pervert Peter. Pervert Peter. Back underwater, Susan ex- Susan is exploring the beautiful coral reef when all of a sudden she spots a tiger shark pursuing her. She quickly hides in the reef. Then once it passes by, she swims to the surface to alert Brian of the danger. Brian, help! There's a shark! He jumps to action and grabs his rifle. Susan says she's going back down and dives under the waves while a big dark spot in the water approaches her. Brian fires his rifle but doesn't hit the creature. The shark rams the boat, knocking everyone to the deck. Underwater, Susan again hides from the shark in part of the reef. This time, she's grabbed from behind by a submerged zombie. She rips off a piece of coral and rubs it in his face to blind the ghoul. As Susan makes her escape to the surface, the shark attacks the zombie and we get an epic shark versus zombie battle. The zombie bites the shark, ripping away a piece of its flesh. Then the shark eats the zombie's arm off. Back on the boat, Brian and Peter are helping Susan get her scuba gear off. She sits in the chair and Anne puts a blanket on her. Susan says that she was attacked by a man under the water. So, Zach, thoughts on the zombie versus shark scene? It's it's the best part of the movie, in my opinion. It's the best part of the movie. It's so cool. Never been done since. Yeah, it's amazing. Dude, the fact that <laughs> that the fact that they're using a tiger shark, which is one of the most aggressive sharks uh, out there. I think a bull shark is a bit more aggressive. Um, now, the guy playing the zombie, um, I should call him out because he actually he has a, a credit on here. So I'll do that right now. So the guy playing the zombie, Ramon Bravo, um, he was also the the shark 
trainer. So he was obviously he he can hold his breath. He could hold his breath for I think like a minute and a half to two minutes long. Um, so of course they have uh, you know scuba divers all around ready to give him you know air and oxygen and everything. And he did apparently feed the shark before they started filming, so that way it wouldn't yeah. be hungry and doped it up with a little bit of a sedative. But what we have. The fact that he's literally wrestling it, he's literally biting it. Like he, as a person, is biting the shark. The shark, you can tell. It's, I mean, the shark doesn't know what's happening. It's like, what the fuck's going on? Let me get Poor away. Shark. <laughs> Poor shark. Poor shark. Poor fucking shark. And to the point where he even shoves like a fake arm in the shark's mouth and it rips it off. Like all of this is so amazing, and I still think in 2023, it looks spectacular because it's fucking real and it's no yeah. cgi whatsoever no it's it's really lives up to the hype people are like oh did you see the movie with the shark and the zombie it's really good yeah it it, it holds up it tracks it it to this day it's so good it, it's yeah you're right it, it it's lives up to the hype that people you know hear about it yeah and i remember um Jay Baruchel, is he pronounced his name? I think Jay Baruchel. Oh yeah, the guy who talks like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From, from Tropic Thunder. I love that yeah. part where he's talking about Blu-rays and everything, and fucking uh, Robert Downey Jr. is like, "You talking to me this whole time?" <laughs> I love that. So, I, I actually I like Jay Baruchel. I know he I, he I can see how he can annoy people, but I like his shtick. Um, I did. I can't stand that guy because he puts that affect on his the way he talks sometimes. Well, I. I did like in the movie uh, This is the End. He's wearing a shirt that says Shark versus Zombie on it. So which yes, is, that yeah, was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. I didn't pull. I didn't pull that one out my shelf. Uh, I wish I did because I'm. But I'm not that cool. I'm not that cool. <laughs> what are you talking about, uh, Seth Rogen? <laughs> I, I like Jay Baruchel. <laughs> I know you do. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. Okay. It's okay. Was he in Super Bad also? It's what? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. He wasn't in Super Bad. No. Uh, okay. He was in Forty Year Old Virgin, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut to a church on the tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we get back to Pervert Pizza? Pervert Pizza. Yeah, uh, can, 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 can you keep talking about me, Jay Bear Show? <laughs> no, this will be the last we'll probably ever talk <laughs> I, about Jay Bear Show. Here we go. We see a few goats roaming the dirt streets, and the wind is blowing hard, kicking up sand. Beautiful. Uh, you and I have both talked about it plenty of times, but let's just bring it up again. We both very much like wind in movies. So much so that, that Zach even broke down a movie called The Wind with Wings Hauser and Meg Foster. <laughs> That's right. But... This is one of those movies where I note the wind, I notice it, and I very much, I think it's cool, and it adds to that ominous feeling that the movie has. Yeah, so so desolate and depressing and dreary. Even though it's juxtaposed with, like, a beautiful tropical location, it still manages to feel, like you said, depressed and empty. Yep. Inside the church, we see it's a makeshift hospital with about 10 people moaning and crying in their beds. Most of them are tied down. And 
I love the attention to detail on like all every person who's dying in this movie. They've got like vomit on their pillows. They've got like vomit on their mouth. Like this is all makeup department. Like they had to add to this, but I think it adds to the grossness of the movie because like you know in Dawn of the Dead. But Roger, we see Roger, you know, die, but he doesn't like vomit everywhere and everything. He just no. sort of dies peacefully and then comes back to life, you know. Whereas here, man, like this is an agonizing death and it takes days and they have like again, they have vomit on the fucking pillows and stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I'm like, oh man, this is a fucking rough way to go. Yeah, yeah. The way it looks aesthetically is not a place you'd ever want to be. No, it looks like fucking hell. Yeah. Hell. Hell. Dr. Menard's assistant, Nurse Clara, played by Stefania Diamario, leads the good doctor to one patient in particular. He examines the patient and says, I don't think he'll last the morning. Clara asks what she should do. Menard tells her to take him take him into the sacristy. Uh, I had to look that up. Uh, that is the room where the priest prepares for service. I was like, oh, okay. Where the also probably the room where the priest does most of the molesting and gets serviced. Ah, there you go on his matul. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, but uh, do you have room for 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 one more in here? But don't tell anybody, please. Oh, so fucking true. And guys and gals, you know our stance on organized yep. uh, religion. So yep, don't be alarmed. Uh, he says he doesn't want to alarm the other patients. Menard tells Claire to uh, tie him down securely. Just then, Lucas, uh, we should have mentioned, uh, he's played by an actor named Dakar. Um, he busts through the church door. He excitedly says, everyone is leaving. Menard tells Lucas to calm down and takes him outside the church and away from the other patients. Lucas says that all the natives are leaving the village. What do they do? He kind of has like a Jamaican accent that sort of comes and goes. Yeah, yeah. But I like his character. I do, too. And also, I found it weird because he calls, you know, the other people on the island natives. So I guess he's not from that island, but he also has an accent. I just kind of wish I knew how he got there. You know what I mean? I feel like he's from the – yeah, he came over from the the Dominican. Okay. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe he came over from, like, where they came over from, from, you know, where where Pervert Pete and, you know, Brian and all them were and whatnot. Yeah. Okay, good good point. So he I, I would so. he would refer to them as natives then. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that works for me, man. Menard asks what happened and Lucas says, "Here in Villa, sorry guys, I, I transcribed it, you know, so there's going to be sometimes it sounds it's it's his accent." Yeah. "Here in village is great trouble and commotion. It's the juju, man. The new one. He's speaking plenty. He seems to be possessed by all the devils in hell." Menard says that's ridiculous. Lucas goes on. The natives are playing crazy. They run all over the village. They pick up their possessions. They disappear. Menard asks where they went. Lucas says they are going inland. They're making voodoo, I think. The doctor says that voodoo won't solve anything. Lucas grabs his arm and says, They're afraid. They're much afraid, these people. Menard looks at him and says, You too. You're afraid, aren't you, Lucas? Lucas looks down in shame. The two men walk down the beach as the wind picks up. We see through a POV shot that someone or something is watching them through the woods. We hear a heavy breathing coming from the thing watching. Now, knowing that this was supposed to be sort of a 
Island of Dr. Moreau scenario. Like, I think Lucas is kind of like that, that care, you know, like I, it sort of fits. I can see where the, the Moreau stuff is in this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's an homage there for sure. Where he's slightly, he's not deranged. He never comes across as being deranged. He just no. becomes across as like maybe obsessed and headstrong. Yeah. And then Lucas, I, I can see him being that side character that, you know, I'm sure Dr. Moreau has as well and everything, you know. Yeah, every every doctor needs an assistant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lucas is that short little uh, short little dude. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Guys and gals, go listen to our, our uh, discussion, our review of that documentary about the uh, Richard Stanley, the doomed journey, journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. We had a good time discussing that documentary we did it's just like feels unbelievable but then they actually have video proof to show everything so right um now i do like this because um that last scene with the heavy breathing and the pov shot it cross fades to the doctor's house at night and and like basically cross fades into another pov shot with heavy breathing so you know you can kind of tell that it's not the same person but it's probably the same like a zombie as well like you're getting that connection you know we see the gar- gardener, a.k.a. manservant, and his dog sitting on the front steps. The dog growls, and the gardener gets up to investigate. Don't ever see him again. He's probably dead. Inside, Mrs. Menard is taking a shower. Woohoo! I mean, Sleazy C is happy with this movie, dude. <laughs> it's long and drawn out. Both both, uh, both nude scenes. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Fulci's got no problem with that shit, man. We see a zombie hand press itself against the window, but she doesn't notice. Mrs. Maynard gets out of the shower and dries herself off. She grabs a prescription bottle and takes a pill from it, just like you said earlier. Just take your pills. (laughs) Calm down, bitch. (laughs) I've got special pills in my pocket. Would you like to see them? (laughs) That sounds like a Woody Allen thing. Well... He got them from me, actually. Um, but I, I, I would like them back if you're not going to use them. But, 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 but don't tell any. If you do use them, don't tell anybody where you got them from because he didn't get them from me. Uh, I'm going to go make my 40th movie and let Hollywood let me get away with everything. That's Hollywood for you, baby. Uh, so she doesn't notice the zombie's hand. Uh, oh, description panel. Okay. She puts on a nightgown and takes the pill with a glass of water. Just then, Mrs. Maynard hears a noise come from outside. I don't know if you noticed, but there's, like, three awesome, like, dolly shots in this. Like, this is one where the camera's on her, and she hears that noise, and the camera kind of, it doesn't tilt. It dollies over, changing, like, the focal length. It's really cool, but then later... I like the couple shots they do with with Brian in the shotgun, where he kind of turns his head to see a zombie, and the the doll like camera like dollies around. And when I say yeah. dolly, I mean it moves smoothly from left and right or forward and back. Now, in order to achieve something like that, they have to put down dolly tracks, actual little train tracks, you know, for the camera. It's worth noting these shots because. Low-budget films don't have a lot of camera movement in them. Camera movement, anytime there's camera movement, it's always more time and time is money. Like, time to set up and time is money. So I noticed these shots because 
there's not a lot of movement in the movie because it's a low-budget film. And I think he uses these dolly shots very effectively. Yeah, totally. I wrote that down, that this, this sequence, once she gets out of the shower and, like, walks over to the window, too, where they, you know, it's clearly on a set. But the way the camera pans, really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, the, the inside house, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a set, the whole inside of the cottage thing. Yeah. So once she hears that noise, she walks over to the front door to investigate. Then she hears another sound come from another part of the house. She quickly walks back to the bedroom and closes the door. Just as she's about to lock it, something jiggles the handle from the other side. She presses her body against the door, but it's no use. A zombie hand slowly opens it. So, yeah, this is probably my favorite scene in the entire movie. It's like a six-minute scene between her getting out of the shower and ending where it's going to end. But the tension is so perfectly built up. And I love this shot here because you never heard, like, a window break in the main cottage area. She goes to her—it's like going to your bedroom door, and the moment you're about to shut it, something stops you, which means it just implies how close that zombie was to her in the first place. Do you, yeah. you know what I mean? That, yeah. For me, that's what's fucking, that's the scary shit right there. Yeah, it's creepy. She eventually gets the door closed, cutting off the ghoul's fingers in the process. She leans against the door, but it starts to shake and the wood starts to splinter. So Zach, these aren't Venetian. What are like, what is it? So it's not a solid wood door, but it has those wood panels creating a bit of like what do you call this you know cheap wood (laughs) (laughs) true true. okay i mean shutter doors i guess yeah okay yeah they kind of look like shutters right yeah because it's yeah it's air would flow through them and everything like it would it's not a solid piece of wood and that's important to sort of know if you've never seen the movie to what's going to happen eventually right Mrs. Maynard pushes a heavy dresser against the wooden door to block it. As she's leaning against the dresser, a horrible growl comes from behind the door, and a zombie's hand bursts through and grabs her by the hair. Mrs. Maynard screams as she tries to get away, but it's no use. The zombie slowly pulls her head closer until her eyeball is impaled on a large wooden splinter created when the creature punched through the door. Mrs. Maynard screams as she gets pulled through the opening, sans one eye. My description doesn't even touch the surface of, of how no. gruesome and amazing this shot is. Yep. Zach, how did you, like, when you saw this for the first time as, like, a kid and shit, man, like, it's, I, even watching it in 2023, man, it is so good. The effect on her eyeball is so good. Yeah, because the way they... The way they shoot it, it goes into her eyeball, and then then they cut to a different vantage point. So you see her, like, the, the splinter rip off the door, and so it's still stuck in her eye. And then she gets pulled through and dies, you know. So you're, you're not only being killed by a zombie, but you're going through excruciating pain at the same time. You're welcome. You just had the shittiest, you just had the shittiest death of your life. You're welcome. Uh, it's like, I mean, it's it's one of the craziest kills in any movie ever, like in, in film history, I think. Yeah, and I think just like everything just feels so painful. It looks so painful on screen, and that's what makes it even more hard. That That's why it makes it harder to watch. 
And I'm a fan of less is more. This is not the case in zombie. That's a good point. I'm actually with you there. A lot of times, especially with monsters, you know, not seeing the monster and everything. Um, but here, what I think worked effectively, we never see the zombies. You only see the hand, and, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but you do see in excruciating detail that that splinter going into her eyeball. And it even, like, she's screaming, and then the music and all the sound, like, stops as the splinter goes in just to sort of emphasize the horror of it and the effect my god it's yeah it's it's this is a master class in gore and how to shoot like an effect and everything yeah absolutely and again made in one month you know yeah so so like here this this is and i bring that up because it's like while i feel like we i think we can agree he kind of scoots by some things but then he takes his time when it's important and that's in scenes like this yeah, he's like, oh, don't worry, people aren't gonna care about the, the, uh, they're not gonna care about the, the, the story. You know, it's it's all gonna be okay. It's okay. They they want to see the gore and in, in the in, in the nudity. That's that's why they came to the the popcorn. So give them the barf bag. <laughs> and famously, the trailer for this movie says that that you know when you go see it, it comes with a barf bag because that's yep. how they were building it up. So good reference there. I have there. a cannibal ferox uh, barf bag from back in the day <laughs> i've never seen that movie by the way you don't need to see that movie by the way mm-hmm. or cannibal holocaust yeah however it's N- none yeah. of those movies just pass hard pass <laughs> and there's eli roth <laughs> but if it wasn't for those movies i wouldn't have made the green uh, whatever movie the green inferno yeah, yeah. I, I didn't i didn't see that either i heard that was not good either okay that's yeah, what, I just what eli roth does he's like he spends half the movie like kind of stupid dialogue and then the other half it's over the top disgusting gore i'm not exploitation i'm not the biggest fan of eli roth i did like cabin fever um but for the most part i don't i have always, i've said it before I, I don't like torture porn stuff yeah torture and, porn stuff and i know that that's sort of a new phrase but to me can't you know cannibal holocaust seemed torture porny you know i just don't i don't need to i don't mind seeing someone get their eyeball like this ripped out what i don't like is when someone's tied up and then they just get their head cut off or something i don't like it when the person can't fight back you know i think that's the thing well this this is a little borderline on that this is a little borderline yeah gore wise but it's a different it's it's zombies it's not like a guy doing it to people you know what i mean it's like it's a monster right yeah, like when it, when it's a person doing it and they're relishing it, like they're they're excited about it. Yeah, like that's a when, snuff film. Yeah, that's when it gets kind of a little bit you know nauseating, a little snuffy. Yeah, yeah. I I, I made a movie like that once. No, I don't care, Woody. <laughs> Woody. <laughs> I like how you're like because I didn't do the accent really well, so Woody. Just yeah. so you know, <laughs> but I'm not gonna go back and redo it. Just nope. Woody. Nope. <laughs> Can I come back later? Sure. <laughs> We see another POV shot with heavy breathing on the beach. This time the person or thing is watching Brian's boat slowly creep to shore. We see Menard's assistant Clara walking through the abandoned village as the wind kicks up sand into her eyes. Goats and donkeys are walking around the streets too. Back on the boat, Peter is dropping the anchor. Clara finds Dr. Menard sleeping by the ocean with an empty bottle of whiskey in his hands. She wakes him up and tells him about Matthias. Matthias, what? 
Say it. You're too afraid to say it, aren't you? She says she doesn't believe in voodoo. He says he doesn't either, but the natives here do, so we, we are investigating the phenomenon. Some of the dialogue's really weird. I mean, <laughs> again. I mean, it's not, it's not the best script. Right. <laughs> but we get to where we need to get to, and when we get there, it's worth it. I've seen them, and you've seen them. Now Mateus. He's one of them, isn't he? Clara just looks down. We have to help him. We have to try to help him. He stands up and tells tells them that they're going to the hospital. Back at the boat, Brian and Susan surface from below the water. She says that the drive shaft is cracked. It must have happened when the shark hit the boat. Peter asks if it's serious. Brian says, well, we have two possibilities. Either we go to shore and walk around until we come to the local repair shop, or we remain here and fire off a few flares and hope that somebody will come to help us. We'll have a tough time making it to the next island if we don't get that shaft fixed. Anne looks shocked. It's her natural state. I was born on a boat. Uh... <laughs> and meanwhile, Susan, I'm like, does Susan not own a bikini? What's going on here? She does not own a swimsuit? Her fucking G-string has as much fabric as a as a handkerchief, dude. And sometimes when she was swimming under the water during that zombie scene, I was like, I can see your butthole. Like, I can see it right there. <laughs> and this is, and of course, we're watching like the 4K 2018 restored edition and yes. everything. <laughs> or you can see everything. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Cut to Dr. Menard and Clara standing next to the bed in the church's sacristy. Sacristy? Sacristy. Sacristy. There you go. I'll keep all of them in, guys. <laughs> or Zachary. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mateus's body is wrapped in a sheet and a rope tied around it. The good doctor has his pistol by his side. He says, poor Mateus and quickly raises his pistol, looks away, takes a shot, then looks back. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah. 
I now I do like what Fulci does in this movie. Does it frequently? There'd yep. be like a build up, a build up, a build up, and then boom, the camera zooms in, and the guy you know raises the gun. I like when Fulci yeah. does that with the gun stuff. Does he do that also in his western movies as well? I'm, I'm, I. It's been a while since I've seen one. I'm just gonna say yes until people go. No, that's not what he did. I'm just going off of what I think. But it is funny how he, like, looks away, shoots, yeah. and then look quickly looks back. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Back on the boat, Brian is firing off flares. On the island, Lucas stops digging a mass grave and looks up at the flare. When Dr. Menard and Clara walk over with the dead body of Mateus on a gurney, he rushes over to tell them that someone is firing rockets from the beach. Menard says he'll go to investigate. He tells Lucas and Clara to finish up with the body. Lucas and Clara roll the body into the mass grave with about six other corpses, all wrapped in white sheets and tied up, and with bullet holes in their heads. Lucas asks if he can bury them, but Clara says they have two more that will die soon. And then he's like, me and you, you mean you and me? Yeah. He's like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You mean us? What? (laughs) Not yet. And I do love in that scene where um, uh, Menard and Clara kind of put the body down. And then Menard's like, I'll go investigate. And then Clara and Lucas have to, like, pick it up and then walk it literally, like, two feet and then put it back down again. Yeah. It's like, why couldn't you have just put it there in the first place? You you're know? a dick. <laughs> Inside the church slash hospital, a woman in bed is muttering to herself as she dies. She says, I buried you, but I see you walking. She's covered in sweat, and her pillow has blood and vomit on it. That's oh, when I sort fun. of— It's It's crazy, and she's, like, missing some teeth and shit. But it's—again, everything this movie does right, it really does right. It's very gritty. It is. It's it's gross. Like it's kind of that oozy, gritty gross. Yeah, you know? it's gross. This is one of my favorite shots. Cut to a shot of the abandoned village, and one lone zombie is just slowly walking down the street. So cool. Yes. Yes. Cut to Doctor Menard driving our gang in his Land Rover. He says to Anne, "I met your father about three years ago when he first came out to these islands." Whenever he could, he would come and stay for a few weeks here with me on Matul. When he became a victim of the disease, he insisted upon staying, in spite of everything I said to him. I insisted that he should leave, but he wouldn't. He felt that he could, in some way, become a guinea pig. That he could help in discovering what was causing the horrors that were destroying our island, transforming it into a wasteland of terror. Extremely courageous man. He pauses, then goes on. I remember the day when my assistant came to tell me that your father was dying. (laughs) There you go. We see a flashback. There you go. Flashback music. (laughs) Dr. Menard sitting at his desk working when Clara bursts in to tell him his friend is dying. Maynard runs to see Anne's father in bed. The old man's breathing is, is heavy and labored, but he says to Menard, I feel I'm about to die. I had a good life, but I never thought it would end this way. I've got two things to ask. Listen carefully. I've written to my dear child, Anne. The letter. See that it gets to her. And make sure that my soul rests in everlasting peace. That man dies. <laughs> Can we have like one thing to say and then, you know. <laughs> nah, 
this. I got I got a whole paragraph. I need you to pay attention to all of this. Right. Right. We hear a voiceover from Maynard. He says he spent a day watching over his body, but I knew that eventually I would have to find the courage to release him. We see Maynard cover the man's head in the sheet. The rest of the body is already covered and tied up. Maynard points the gun at his friend's head, but looks away. Just then, the body starts to slowly sit up. So Maynard quickly shoots it and says to Clara, The boat can leave now. Tell the crew. Yep. So it's cool. I like that. I like that we get a full sort of, you know, full circle. See see the beginning and everything. Yep. Um, yep. Now, who do you believe here? Because the letter makes it sound like, you know, he's like, I'm a guinea pig here. But then then Maynard's version of it says that he volunteered to be a guinea pig. And of course, I think the flashback sort of tells you the truth, but like, who are you believing here? Are you believing the letter? Like is Anne, does she think it's like, or do you believe Maynard that it was more of an honorable death, you know? Or do we believe that they, it's a major plot hole in the script? That's the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's, it's true. I mean, some things, we can talk about in-world stuff as, as to the cows come home, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of wonky script problems, you know? Right. We see Dr. Maynard's Land Rover drive through the abandoned village with our group of friends. Anne asks what exactly was it her father died of? And the boat's crew, what happened to them? Pervert Peter chimes in and asks, what's all this about the dead coming back to life again and having to be killed a second time? Dr. Maynard says... Have you ever heard of voodoo? Brian says, you've got to be joking. That's kid stuff. Voodoo's just plain superstitious horse shit. Basically, I love how he goes into this. I know. And then he goes into the <laughs> definition. Yeah. He's fucking Wikipedia right here. <laughs> he is. He's total Wikipedia. The big brain on Brian over here. <laughs> there you go. Basically, it's a mixture of two religions. One, Catholicism, brought here by the Spanish conquistadores. And two, conquistadores. He, the voice, the voice guy does the definitely rolls the conquistadores. <laughs> and two, African tribal rights that were brought here by the slave trade. Doctor Menard says, "Well, whatever it is, it makes the dead stand up and walk. I've seen it with my own eyes." The natives say some evil witch doctor creates these zombies, but I'm sure there's a natural explanation, and I'm determined to find it. They pull up to the hospital church, and Lucas comes running out to tell Menard that something has happened to Mr. Fritz. Anne asks if it's bad news. The doctor says, Fritz, a friend of mine, who happens to be the only other white man on the island, has had an accident. <laughs> The funny thing is, later, when all those zombies bust through, there's so many white zombies in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, he's the only other white guy. Oh, we better rush to help him. <laughs> yeah, that, too. That, too. <laughs> of course. <laughs> racist. <laughs> kind of racist. Yeah. 1979 racism. <laughs> Peter asks if there's anything they can do. Dr. Menard says there is. His wife's alone at the cottage with only their manservant to look after her. He'd be grateful if they checked in on her. He gives them directions and sends them on their way while he checks on Fritz. The wind starts picking up and our friends take Dr. Menard's Land Rover to go call on his wife. My manservant is there. <laughs> Your manservant got eaten, by the way, I'm sure. Yes. Yep. Inside the hospital slash church, Fritz is in bed moaning. 
Clara by his side. When Dr. Maynard enters the room, he, she says, I thought it was more advisable to bring him here. Maynard agrees and sits down next to Fritz and asks what happened to his arm. Fritz moans, One of the living dead. I saw it too late. Maynard asks where he saw the zombie. In the village. I saw it. Maynard asks intently, In this village? Yes. Maynard looks at Claire and says, Tell Lucas to lock all the doors. But Fritz says it's a waste of time to lock the doors. They'll be here soon to destroy us all. Cut to a shot of a lone zombie walking through the village with his eyes closed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And this like I this one's cool. This zombie has like half his face is fucked up and shit. It's it's awesome. Yeah. From one perspective, he looks one way. He's like two faced and then he turns as his body like the camera pans around him or whatever. It's so cool. Yep. Love that. Fucking love that. Never opens his eyes either, of course. Nope. We see Lucas frantically locking the door. Back in Dr. Menard's Land Rover, Peter, Anne, Brian, and Susan are heading up the trail to check on the good doctor's wife at the cottage. As they get out of the vehicle, Brian says the doctor is doing quite well for himself when he sees the home. Peter says there's something fishy about him, though. That doesn't really pan out, I don't think. The whole fishiness. No, well, I mean, it was a flaw, but maybe the, that was the Island of Dr. Moreau stuff you're talking about. Yeah. But they didn't follow through on that because the doctor never really has a moment where you're like, this guy's a bad guy. He's kind of like his. Uh, he's not as fleshed out as probably he could be because my understanding the first sort of drafts of the script when it was called nightmare island um i don't think there were zombies in it i think it was all supposed to be sort of island of dr moreau homage type of stuff i see that you can totally see that with this and i think when they retooled it um when the backstory again i i'm not an authority but my understanding is when dawn of the dead you know, came to because because Argento, you know, he he helped produce Dawn of the Dead as well. And he also kind of cut the Italian version, the international version of it and and brought Goblin in and everything. And actually, Dawn of the Dead got released in Italy before it got released in America. So the documentary that I watched on this speculated that, I mean, there was a time where and Fulci would have been in these circles and everything where Dawn of the Dead was like being passed around internally and people were talking about it. And Dawn of the Dead was a groundbreaking horror movie. And they quickly, my understanding is, you know, once they sort of caught that, it it wasn't out in the theater yet, but somebody watched it and, you know, like in the editing room or whatever, and they retooled this script. And that's when they sort of changed it to Zombie 2. And I think that's when they changed it to Zombie Flesh Eaters. It only became Zombie 2 when it came out in the theater. But there's always this strong tie to Dawn of the Dead. And I think what we're seeing is, like, with stuff here, I think we're seeing some of those remnants of the original script when, when, you know, Peter says, I, you know, he seems fishy to me. I think that's remnants left over from the original script of the movie. Yeah. Makes sense. And again, like I said, I'm not an authority guys and gals. I'm sure there is, there is extensive, uh, you know, behind the scenes and documentaries on this movie and Fulci in general. If you like this, I highly recommend, you know, go doing your own research and, and going down that path. Um, I, this is that's kind of as far as I can I can take you now is this. And Zach's like, 
I was born on a boat. I was was born on a boat. I'm going to shoot. They knock on the door, but get no response. Brian yells out for Mrs. Maynard. When they still get no reply, they walk in. No reply at all. It doesn't take them too long to discover her body, or what's left of it. Mrs. Maynard's corpse is being eaten by four zombies in the bedroom. The giant splinter is still sticking out of her eye. This is, I mean, this is a gruesome scene. Yeah, they're just chilling, having barbecue. Disgusting. It's super disgusting. Eating her intestines and and slowly. Oh my god! It's. I think. I mean, I think it rivals anything in Dawn of the Dead, like eating of the the body and stuff like that. You know, totally. And they're not blue like they were in Dawn of the Dead. Exactly. Exactly. Never one of my favorite things was the blue zombies in Dawn of the Dead. No, but I do love me some Flyboy. Me too, buddy. Fuck, I'm not going to lie to you. My I love, favorite, I love Flyboy, my favorite I love Raj, and everybody. I mean, that, yep. that movie is still near and dear to my heart. But, you know, nine times out of ten, I would choose to watch the remake over the original. Yeah, same. Yeah. One day... I have it in my head that one day I would like for us to cover them both back to back. Like maybe I break down the original, you break down the remake. We've never done that before where we've never looked at an original versus a remake. I mean, we did with uh, the thing, and but it wasn't really a remake. You know what I mean? The 2000, it's not a remake. Yeah, yeah. the 2011 yeah, one. I know what you're saying. So it'd be cool. It'd be actually be really cool if we actually like kind of did a, a the original versus the remake back to back. But I don't actually know if uh, Dawn of the Dead's on Blu-ray, to be honest with you. So... The the original one? Yeah. Yeah, I have I have that DVD that came out with like 14 different versions of it, you know? I, I had that one too. Yeah, I had that. I mean, I don't have any more, but I did the back in the day. big box set. Yeah. I had that on VHS, like, with a cool shot of the gas mask from the side and everything. And it was a, yeah. it was a two, two VHS set and everything. I had that. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I s- still prefer the remake, though. <laughs> it's a hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> uh, our friends back out of the room slowly, but two more zombies block their retreat. Brian and Peter grab spears and antlers off the wall and dispatch the two ghouls, and they all make a run for the Land Rover. Brian jumps in the driver's seat and tears ass up the road. In the car, Anne says, My God, did my father become one of those? Peter reassures her that he didn't. You heard the doctor. Let's just find the hospital and get the hell out of here as quickly as we can. Let, let's go. Let's go. But, but while we do, would you mind uh, reaching into my pocket, please, and, and pulling out... Um, my matool. Uh, um, my matool. <laughs> I love how we're just devolving into catchphrases and music. <laughs> yes. But, Meanwhile, the breakdown continues. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this I'm, is what happens when Corey breaks down a movie, guys. I I turn into a 12-year-old. <laughs> I love it, my friend. I love it. And, I mean, we're barreling. Drinking to, a Coke. We're barreling to the end, man. We're, we're, like, we only have five pages left in my breakdown. Like, this is such a – this. I told Zach offline, I was like, this was one of the fastest movies for me to break down, like, ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because there's not a lot of dialogue. And then when there is, it all happens at once. And then there's these long breaks of, of just, you know, exposition. Yeah, yeah. This is 
this is the breakdown that I thought them was going to be, and then them turned out to be the most dialogue-heavy movie that I've ever broken down. Damn's the last time I do a movie like that. <laughs> it's like the last time I tackled something from the 50s. God damn. Yep. Wow. Yeah, see? Yeah, see? All we do is talk. <laughs> cover up the cover up the fact that we don't have a lot of special effects. Uh, I had fun Speaking with- of special effects, would you like to see the special effect in Matul? <laughs> There it is. There it is. <laughs> Back in the hospital, we see Dr. Menard standing over another body wrapped in a white sheet and ropes. He puts a bullet through his head. I was like, is that Fritz? But it's not because Fritz is going to come back later. The camera pulls back and we see two more dead bodies in the same condition lying on the floor. Dr. Menard looks defeated. Cut back to the Land Rover speeding down a grass road. A zombie walks out onto the path and Susan screams, look out! Brian hits the creature and loses control of the vehicle, causing it to crash violently into a tree. Peter yells out in pain from the back seat. I didn't quite understand what happened to him. I mean, yeah, the, first of all, his scream is like, <laughs> yeah. then he goes, oh, my, 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 my ankle is completely destroyed or whatever he says you know and you're like how did you have it wedged under the seat or something dude what the fuck yeah like i you know you think like none of them's wearing seatbelts. you think like susan or brian's gonna go through the front window or something but no no it's fucking pervert pete and peter in the back with his fucking ankle getting messed up in the back seat somehow maybe he's trying to play footsie with susan or something (laughs) from behind yeah and she she's fine of course you know Everyone gets out of the Land Rover. Brian checks the engine, but it's shot. Uh, did you notice? Here's where I noticed it. Uh, Brian is wearing a Daily Planet t-shirt. Yes, I wrote that down in my notes, too. Thank you, dude. That's like, I'm like, what? Okay. And it's the irony is he's not the reporter. Like, Peter's the reporter you think he would wear, it, but Brian's wearing it. And it's all, But it's also a Superman reference because the Daily yeah. Planet is where Clark Kent works. I wonder if he's like, Peter. Uh, yeah, yes, 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 yes. What can I do for you? Do you have a, a spare T-shirt? I, I I haven't done the laundry. He's like, maybe take my take my Daily Planet T-shirt. Here you go. Right. It's like it's weird, but I was like, I was like, and I paused. And I was like, holy shit! I was like, is that a Daily Planet shirt? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Peter says his ankle is gone the same way as the engine, essentially. Brian asks if he thinks he can make it on foot back to the hospital. Peter says they don't have much choice. Brian grabs a gun from the truck, and they start walking. As our friends walk along the beach and through, like, palm trees, we can hear drums and chanting in the distance. This is where I, this is where I thought it was part of the movie score, but then you realize everyone can hear it, too. Peter says the drums are getting closer. Susan yells, I hate it. Damn you, you bastards. Then throws herself into Brian's arms, sobbing. He says, they're laying a little voodoo on us. It's got a sound all of its own. Peter thinks they should hurry up and get a move on. It's going to be dark soon. They start walking. I... I will say I'm never a fan of the excited females in, in these types of movies, and we don't see it that much anymore. But Susan in this scene, I can't take it anymore, and then she buries her head in, in her you know boyfriend's chest. It's I, melodramatic. It's so melodramatic. I, I'm glad as sort of a, an art form we've moved away from this sort of style of acting and, and whatnot. Yeah, me too. I like – I mean – 
I grew up on fucking aliens. I'm, I, you know, Vasquez, fucking Ripley. Like, I do like to have my female characters have a bit more agency and strength behind them, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Makes them more interesting. I like my women with, uh, you know, muscles. <laughs> I, I mean, I, mean, I kind of do. Fucking Rhea Ripley, man. Oh, my God. She's, she's my new fucking hotness, bro. Oh. Mm. Rhea, baby. Rhea. Huh. <laughs> Zach's like, I can't say anything. My wife is sitting right here. <laughs> he's just, he's just smiling at me. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Ha <laughs> ha! Mine's asleep. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> Back in the hospital, Lucas puts a sheet over another expired patient and starts cleaning up. Dr. Menard, clearly at the end of his rope, asks, Do you know what is the cause of all this? Is it voodoo? Lucas says, my father always say, when the earth spit out the dead, they will come back to suck the blood from the living. I guarantee you that line was added after this, the screenwriter saw a cut of Dawn of the Dead, you know? Totally, totally. Maynard says, that's just superstitious nonsense. Lucas looks at him and says, yes, you are right, doctor. You know many more things than Lucas. Maynard shoots back, I don't believe that voodoo can bring the dead back to life. And Lucas not believe that the dead be dead. Cut to our friends slowly making their way through the jungle. Brian is on point with the rifle. Anne is helping Peter. And Susan is in the rear. Peter says he can't go any further. He has to rest for a minute. Anne helps him to the ground. Susan tells them to stay there and she and Brian will go take a look ahead. Although I don't know why Susan has to carry her giant duffel bag she could have just left it with you know peter and ann as they go ahead should have susan and brian don't walk too far before brian sees something sticking out of the ground he crouches down to examine it it's a spanish conquistador helmet conquistador <laughs> he does put on that flair whenever he says it <laughs> you know that song from the 70s conquistador probably like a, but you not know a, it not off the top of my head I forget who sings it, but it's like a, you know, it's a pretty popular band. Conquistador and burn a burn. And you're like, what? This song's about a conquistador? It's a pop song? What the fuck? <laughs> I, I might have to. Did Harry Belafonte uh, sing that? Uh, fucking big rips to him, man. He just passed away today. Rest in peace to Harry Belafonte. Yeah, man. Uh, he did not. No. He did have a good run, though, because I think he was like 86 years old or something. He did. He did. You're like he, you're like I am the authority, and he absolutely did. Everyone knows they know. Uh, Procol Harum, Procol Harum. You know, yeah. They, oh, the, oh, of course, I knew who they are. Yeah, they do the white lighter shade of pale. Lighter shade of pale. Oh, and the yeah, big yeah, chill. Yeah. You love your big chill. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know that one. I do know that one. Here it comes. <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut this, otherwise we're gonna get flagged by Spotify. Conquistador. Conquistador. Yeah. Anyways, if anyone's if anyone's interested, because uh, you can't play this on the thing, uh, yeah, look up Conquistador by Procol Harum. It's the first song on their album from 1967. Oh my god. Jesus. <laughs> Go this is gonna be a top 40 hit. <laughs> Let's no. sing about conquistadors. 
1967. Jesus Christ. Then Neil Young's like, I got one better for you. And he wrote a song about uh, Cortez the Killer. Cortez the Killer. Spanish conquistador Cortez the Killer. <laughs> okay, back to the programming. And this has been your old man music corner. <laughs> Susan and Brian don't walk too far before Brian sees. Oh, it's the conquistador. Okay, we just said that. Conquistador. <laughs> it's, covered, it's covered in mud and dirt. He says it must be over 400 years old. Susan looks around scared as the drumming and chanting continues. She slowly turns around and sees an old grave marker. Brian sees one too and says, This must have been a cemetery for the Spanish conquistadores. Conquistadores! <laughs> Cut back to Anne and Peter laying on the ground trying to catch their breath. Peter- yeah, laying on the ground. Yes, yes. Completely chilling. laying on the ground. Fucking chilling like villains. Why don't we look up at the stars and see if we can see? It's the day daylight right now. I was born on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Peter says he's sorry he dragged her into this, but she says it's her father they came looking for. Anne says she's scared they won't make it off the island. Peter rolls over and kisses her, but he kind of goes, <laughs> kind of when he rolls her, he's like. He goes to kiss her. He's like, oh, he like makes like a noise, like almost like a zombie. <laughs> it's not the most attractive kiss, uh, but no. but he does. And, and uh, he's on top. She's on bottom as he's making out with her. That's going to matter in a second. As they're making out, a zombie's hand slowly comes out of the ground and grabs Anne by the hair. She screams. Then another one comes out of the ground and grabs Peter's fucked up ankle and digs into the flesh. He screams, too. Brian runs to their aid, leaving Susan behind in the other part of the cemetery. The camera stays on Susan as she watches in terror as a 400-year-old zombie slowly rises out of the ground next to her, then lunges forward and tears out her throat with his teeth. She falls over screaming and gurgling as she dies. Her white shirt is now completely stained red. I always thought this scene was hit or miss. Like, why don't you run? You know, like, why doesn't Susan run? Uh, there's enough time. But at the same time... Frozen in fear. Frozen uh, in okay, fear. Okay, yeah, and, and I get that. I, okay, fine. But the payoff is pretty awesome because the throat rip, I mean, he rips out her jugular. And I love the fact that her white top is now just 100% red. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think this zombie is the one that's on the cover yes. of the box, right? Yep. And in... When it lunges, that's a famous scene, of course. It's an infamous scene. Um, I honestly hope, wished that Anne, when she, when the zombie grabbed her hair, it would rip her scalp off her head. Dude, every time I watch it. That... <laughs> well, you really hate her, don't you? No, no, it just would have been more effective I, if she died right I, then and there. Dude, every time I watch it, it's what I think is going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, I am 100% disappointed. Yeah, I think they they would do this with a supporting actor, yeah, and not the lead. Yeah, ex- any any time, hands down. Exactly, and I would have rather, much rather, have had Susan survive than uh, Tisa Tissa. Yeah, Susan, who looks like uh, Aaron, what's her face from Happy Days, 
when she chopped her hair off uh, uh, Joni. Yeah, and she had all the – her hair is so curly and everything. And she gets that – because Joni chopped her hair off and got a perm. Yeah. You know, when later seasons of uh, Happy Days. Is it that – and then they spun off Joni Loves Chachi, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which in Korean is penis. <laughs> penis, apparently. Doesn't, doesn't Happy Days have, like, seven spinoffs and, like, Mork and Mindy was fucking one of them? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I used to watch Happy Days when I was when I was a kid, but that's like one of those shows where I don't even know if it's like rerun streaming like anywhere or if you just find it on the new like whatever the the Nick at Night is now. There's you know I know there's a channel that that just plays all those old Nick at Night shows now like TV Land or something. Is that the yeah. only place you can really find Happy Days these days? I I think so. I think so. Yeah, because there was there was like cartoons and other spinoffs. Yeah, tons of spinoffs. Oh, that's right. There was a fucking Happy Days cartoon, wasn't there? Yeah, I think so. Damn. Filmation, I think, put it out. Damn, I remember that shit. Just like the old Star Trek cartoon too. Oh, that's the bomb. I fucking love that Star Trek cartoon. By the way, I like it more than the TV series. I do too. <laughs> 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 Conquistador. Brian runs back to help her, but it's too late. He shoots the zombie twice in the back. It slowly turns around with Susan's flesh still in its mouth. That's cool. Peter grabs a wooden grave marker and knocks the cool over, then smashes its head in. Brian walks over to Susan and holds her. Peter says they have to leave before it's too late. Brian says they can't leave her here all alone. But Anne says she's dead. Peter says there's nothing they can do for her now and helps Brian to his feet. Come on, man. Let's go. As they walk out of the cemetery, more zombies start to slowly rise from the dirt. And I love this shot because literally it starts happening like a second after they leave. So if they did stay, it would have been bad for them. But I love how slowly all of them rise up. And again, I am reminded of children shouldn't play with dead things when they all sort of rise up too. And then, you know, that movie has like, it's not voodoo, that's Satanism. This is voodoo, but still you could say they're together because they're like, it's like a supernatural spin it's on magic. The, yeah, yeah, it's magic and everything. So I like this, this shot. I like the scene. I think it's super eerie. It's, it's even eerie in the fact that there's one shot at the beginning before, like, all the zombies start raising up, where, like, I think one of the actors, Brian or Peter or whatever, like, step, steps on a piece of ground as they're walking away. But, like, an actor, like a zombie actor, was actually under that ground and then just yeah. starts coming up, behind, like, after they step away. So effective, dude. Yeah, it's so cool. But as And w- reminds me of children shouldn't play with dead things also. But as one of the other notable kills, uh, I think Susan's kill is really great. How did that one affect you as a kid? Oh, it, it's still disturbing. I mean, I know it's just makeup now, but still, it's really gross. Anything where you see the skin getting stretched out and ripped off, it's like, ooh, oh, God, it's shudders. And, you know, watching this in 2023, and I know we both have the head for putting it back into place, back into, like, where it was, I still think the effects actually look really fucking good. Oh, yeah, it looks great. It looks it totally it totally looks great. Totally looks great. And even the blood is sort of that fake red that it is. It just it all works together. You know, I don't mind it. No, me I neither. Don't I don't. So cut to cut to more zombies slowly walking through the village as the wind kicks up sand and dirt. Cut back to and things are going to start getting fast now, guys. 
Cut back to our <laughs> Cut back to our friends in the jungle. It's now nighttime. Peter falls to the ground yelling. He can't go on. And ah! I can't go on. Come on, man. Please, please. And this also reminds me of the shot in Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things where they're catching they're getting to the house, but there's the zombies like in the distance in the background yep. and everything. I mean, come on, everybody who's like, um, it's not a very good movie, or uh, it's passable, I give it a second opinion, watch it again, because I'm telling you, if that movie hadn't come out, Zombies on an Island, hello! <laughs> I, I think these are, t- that's a good double feature, Children shouldn't play with dead things, and Zombie or is a great I double feature. I think it's fantastic, yeah. Yeah. And they, the zombies get on a boat at the end of the movie and head back to the shore, to the mainland, the big city. We're back, baby! <laughs> back in the New York groove. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, cut back to our friends in the jungle. It's nighttime now. So he's, Peter falls to the ground. He's yelling. He can't go on. But we see zombies nah. approaching them from behind. They see the hospital slash church in the distance and make their way to it. Inside the church, Dr. Maynard is examining a patient. He says to Clara that the man is fading, and there's no use for a blood transfusion now. He's going to die anyways. Suddenly, he hears Anne and Brian banging on the door, and he runs to unlock it. We see a bunch of figures slowly creeping through the darkness behind them. Once inside and the door is locked again, Peter tells them that the dead are coming back to life. They're everywhere, men! We see it now that we see a close-up shot of a cross-eyed zombie. Probably my least favorite zombie because the eyes are open, but this is only like one of two zombie whose eyes are actually open. I actually like the other one, and I'll call that one out when I can. It's just, it's disturbing. It is. It is. Inside, Brian is boarding up all the windows while Dr. Menard examines the massive gash in Peter's ankle. He's just straight up like sticking a full cotton ball in the open wound. It's, oh. it's horrible. Maynard asks him, what about my wife? Peter looks at him but doesn't say anything. The doctor knows. Brian finishes putting boxes in front of the window, then walks over to Menard. What the hell are, we, what the hell are they, doctor? Maynard says, I don't know. It all started about three months ago. One of the fishermen said he'd seen his wife walking in the village at night, only she'd been dead for two days. At the time, nobody believed the story. In these islands, fantastic legends, voodooism, zombie, have been rife for centuries. Outside, we see more zombies slowly approaching the church as drums and chanting continue, and the wind blows harder. Back inside, Dr. Minard continues talking. As a man of science, I don't believe in voodooism, but the phenomenon does, but the phenomenon defies logical explanation. We see Clara put a sheet over the patient they said was going to die soon. Maynard goes on, I've attempted to apply the disciplines of bacteriology, virology, even of radiology. We've performed tests, epilepsy, and, and for catalepsy. Nothing fits. Just then, they hear zombies banging on the front door of the church. Brian checks the barrier, then asks Maynard if it, if it will hold them. Not a chance. Great bedside manner. <laughs> he just doesn't even... We're all going to die. It's like, no, we're dead, motherfuckers. 
Well, save yourselves. We're all going to die. <laughs> run, bitches, run. Rock. <laughs> hey, Polly, how'd we get in here? Shipwreck, let's go. Rock. Yeah, good one. <laughs> Batten down the hatches. It's time to go. Ah, my least favorite G.I. Joe character. I love me some shipwreck. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. There you go. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> Brian asks how they're going to stop the zombies. Maynard gives Peter his pistol and says he has another one in his office. As he's walking, as he's walking there, he tells Brian there are two drums of kerosene in the sacristy. Brian tells Peter and Anne to stay where they are and to watch the windows, and goes to retrieve the drums with Nurse Clara. He tells her to grab as many empty bottles as she can find. We see a zombie start climbing through the window, and Peter, now out of bed, smashes it in the face with a shovel. The zombie spews blood from its face and slumps over. Peter bashes his brains out, then closes the window. Low-key, this was probably one of the better zombie kills, man. I totally agree, yeah. Because I also love how he smashes the zombie. Like, the zombie gets hit in the face, and it's like, I'm already dead. <laughs> He's like, I'm fucking dead. And then he fucking knocks his brains out. <laughs> it's kind of like overkill. Yeah. We see more and more zombies gathering outside the church. In the sacristy, Brian, Lucas, and Clara are making Molotov cocktails while Dr. Maynard is loading the shotgun in his office. He goes to join the rest of the group, and all of a sudden, Zombie Fritz jumps out of the shadows and takes a huge bite out of Menard's face. Brian hears him screaming and goes to help, leaving Lucas and Clara to finish the Molotov cocktails. Brian enters the doctor's office and finds Fritz eating Menard's face as he lay dead on the ground. That was, I was like, till all this, every time I watch this, every time I watch this, I'm always shocked that that's how quickly and sort of, like, I don't see it coming, uh, how quickly Maynard dies. Yeah, one bite dead. It's a big fucking bite, bro. I mean, come on. <laughs> You're like, I can, you can survive that. Come on. Come on. <laughs> that guy needs a jump to conclusions, Matt. No, <laughs> Zombie Fritz slowly rises to his feet. His face and mouth are covered with the doctor's blood. I do like, by the way, with the zombies, they, they don't like kind of like eat. They sort of eat you, but they also kind of just I, I get all right. What I do like is I like the flesh hanging out of their mouth all the time. Oh, yeah, me too. It's gross. Yeah, it's gross. Effective. Mm hmm. Brian shoots him in the heart, but nothing happens. Fritz slowly walks towards him with his eyes closed. Brian shoots again and blows the ghoul's brains out. Fritz falls over dead. Brian checks on Maynard, but it's too late. Grabs Maynard's shotgun, though. That badass shotgun. Fuck yeah, he does. Back in the sacristy, a zombie slowly and quietly rises up from the bed it was on and out of the sheets it was wrapped in. Lucas doesn't notice until it's too late. The creature takes a huge bite out of his arm while his back is turned. And dude, I mean, he bites down to the bone. Yeah, yeah. Lucas screams in pain and slumps down while Clara watches helplessly. Now more of the patients turned zombies are rising up from their beds and coming towards her. She finally screams and Brian goes running to help her with both his rifle and Dr. Maynard's shotgun. 
Before he can get to Clara, he sees a zombie slowly coming through one of the windows. He aims his shotgun, and this is the zombie. I like it. He So he shoots first, kind of hits the window and stuff, and then the zombie, I like the zombie. It's a fake head because it's going to explode, but I like that it has an eyeball because this one, this zombie feels evil and menacing. Like, he's looking at Brian like, fuck, did you just do? Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite zombies. It's very creepy looking. And he's kind of lifting the the thing up with his head, too. Yeah, yeah. It's a dummy, but it's it's a cool-looking one. Yeah, it is. It's, and the eyeball makes it sinister. Um, but this time, his aim is true. He explodes the zombie's head, but also destroys the, the, like the window barrier as well, you know? Oops. Brian goes to Claire's aid and shoots down the zombies advancing on her. He grabs some of the Molotov cocktails and tells her to grab some, too. LFA just doesn't wait for her. He's like, he runs yeah. back to Peter and Anne, but Clara gets attacked and killed by zombie Lucas before she can meet up. Oh, Clara. She had her moment. She and did. she blew it. <laughs> she did. <laughs> Outside, a horde of zombies are trying to get in the front door of the church. Inside, Brian, Peter, and Anne are all set to make their last stand as they aim their guns at the front door behind a makeshift barricade. Brian tells Anne to get some more bottles, but when she goes back, she's stopped by zombie Lucas. Anne screams, and Peter turns around and shoots Lucas in the head. And she does the thing that I fucking hate in these movies where she just goes, ah, she screams and, like, turns turns towards the camera, you know? Yeah, so dramatic. Ugh. I'm just, born on a boat. I was I was born on a boat. Ah. <laughs> Dude, I just I wish she got her scalp ripped off in the I know, cemetery. it would have been amazing. Yeah. She can sign autographs with that eight by ten photo of her getting her head ripped off. That would have been so much better. Now the zombies are coming through the front door. <laughs> Lots of white zombie actors when the only two white people on the island were Minard and Fritz. <laughs> Lots of lots of uh, rafter beams falling, too. It's re- this is really funny. The, yeah, this is. I mean, so as the ghouls slowly make their way inside the church, Brian and Peter throw Molotov cocktails at them, catching the church on fire. Our friends now start shooting the zombies as they come in through the front door and through the windows. Some are even rising up from the hospital beds. It's pretty much three versus the whole village at this point, which is really fucking cool. The battle rages on for quite some time until the front of the church collapses due to fire. So that's guys, that's, that's my summary of the event, but this scene takes like two or three minutes, maybe even four, just pure action, just shooting and killing zombies. Yeah. It's really cool because it, it just keeps going and on and on and on. It's a great like melee massacre moment. But what's funny about it is the the beams and the uh, on the roof are just falling in like one, just too many beams that actually probably existed <laughs> on the roof. Right, they just right. keep one beam after another. So <laughs> I'm I'm imagining a crew above just throwing one beam after. Keep going, keep going. This is great. It looks great. But just, there's like thirty beam. I'm exaggerating. You know, there's like ten beams on the ground, and uh, and and then you know, it's cliche at this point. But like they're not reloading, they're unloading all these yeah. bullets. I'm I'm totally okay with all of this because yeah. it's so much fun. Yeah, and it's the finale of the film. You know, there's like literally what two minutes left in the movie. 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. There's there's not much time at all left, and yeah, this is the big climax, and it is a it's a great payoff. There's a lot of zombies on fire. There's a lot of great effects. Zombies yeah. are getting crushed and everything. You know, it's 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 awesome, man. They're doing some really good shit in this movie. Again, made in a month and like edited and produced and sent out like in two months after that. Like, boom, you know. They they don't make movies like that anymore because if a movie was made in a month now, you'd know. You'd be like, oh, this movie sucks, but yeah. this does. Not this, that movie would go straight to Netflix at that point. I was gonna joke that it would star Bruce Willis, but you can't joke that way anymore. Yeah, poor guy. Poor, poor. <laughs> R.I.P. Bruce Willis's mind. R.I.P. Bruno. Yeah. Uh, Brian and Peter and Anne run out, run out of the main room and into Maynard's office. The guys lock the door, and Anne turns around and gasps. There are four zombies in there with them. Brian bashes a few of their faces in, and they run past the rest into the night. Once outside, they have to fight a few more zombies to be free. They easily dispatch them. Brian leads the retreat, but unfortunately, he runs face-first into Zombie Susan. I love this. I love the look, how she looks. Yeah. I, but I but Brian is is the heart of this movie. Yeah. He's the only one I think that really truly like does the most out of everybody. Yeah. And well, keep going. He looks at her as she slowly walks up to him and bites a chunk out of his arm. No. <laughs> Saddest moment in the movie. Saddest moment in the movie. Agreed. Agreed. And just like with um Children shouldn't play with dead things. The the person who we sort of connected with the most goes running off into the darkness and dies, you know? Yep. There's a lot of similarities. Guys and gals, really hope you also listen to the, the Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things review as well as this one. They, I mean, and also, more so, go watch them back to back. There are so many connections right. and similarities. Brian screams and yells for Peter to shoot her. Shoot her. Shoot her. That's my uh, Jurassic Park, <laughs> which he does. Clever girl. There you go. Make for reference from children shouldn't play with dead things. <laughs> Not Jurassic Park. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Peter shoots her right in the brain. Peter helps Brian to his feet. Let's get to the boat. You can make it. As they are making their way through the jungle, they hear the church explode and look back. It's now completely engulfed in fire. Crossfade to the next morning, and we see Peter, Brian, and Anne on the boat. Brian is driving, and he looks like fucking death. Anne asks if they can go any faster, but Brian says that the drive shaft could go any second. They'll make it to another island and get it fixed there. As Brian is talking, he slumps over the wheel. Peter helps him up. Brian says he feels cold. He tells Peter and Anne that he doesn't want to become like the monsters on the island. He tells Peter to save him. Then he passes out again. Too late. (laughs) They move Brian down to the cabin below, and Anne watches over him as he dies. His death scene is sad to me, man, because it looks horrible. It looks like he's terrified. Because he's the only guy that he's the coolest guy in the movie. That's why it's sad. Yeah. You know, it, just like uh, what's his face in uh, Dawn of the Dawn of the Dead, the outside of Ro- Ken Forey, Raj, 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 yeah. But Raj, Raj got he was a little hot. 
He's a little hot. He had a little Napoleon complex going on. So, I like Brian better than Raj. Flyboy? No, I like Brian here in this movie better than oh, Roger in Dawn of the me Dead. Me too. Me too. Me too. I'm just saying, like, you know, they had one guy who got attacked by a zombie and had yeah. a stretched out death. Yeah. Poor yeah. Bri no. Bri. Poor Bri yeah. Bri. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Brett Hull. <laughs> who? She. She wow, you <laughs> all these fucking keyboard, you know, warriors. You don't know who he was the captain of the St. Louis Blues hockey team. Just know that every time Zach says that guy's name, I think of that scene from Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm Star Lord. Who? That's literally who is always I, in my head. I guarantee you, Lee Germaine is going to be like, okay, you know, you want to know who Brett Hall is? This is Brett Hall. <laughs> Because Lee knows I'm hockey. Sure. I'm on, sure Lee. he does. Shout out to The only hockey Lee. I know is from NHL, I think, 96. I played NHL 96 a shit ton, and I used the Chicago Blackhawks. That was my team, I think. Is that the one in Swingers when they're playing and uh, and he knocks him out? And he's like, oh, I, I love that scene in Swingers when they're playing the NHL video game. Uh, so I, I don't – I know I didn't buy – NHL because of it, but I did enjoy it. Like I, that was like one of the few sports games that I liked was that NHL game was hockey. Fun. But I played as the Chicago Blackhawks because I know that was Trent's the character Trent's uh, favorite team in Swingers. So it was right around the same time. So then his like, brother played play the Kings, right? His bro- brother played the Kings. I, I, think. I think so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Little insight into our minds. And then know? the pizza guy shows up. Is he clean? Is he clean, Michael? <laughs> I love it. Ah, uh, Swingers. <laughs> She goes back to Peter, who's now driving the boat. She, she be driving it since she was born on it. You fuck. I was born on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and she tells them that Brian is dead. She asks, what do they do now? Because, of course, she's going to have no ideas of her own. Peter says, lock him in the bilge. Take him back with us to the States. Someone there might be able to do something. Anne protests, but Peter says they have to bring him back. Brian is the only proof they have that all this happened. Otherwise, they'll just think they're crazy. Anne says she feels dead. I feel dead. <laughs> we see a slight time jump. I'm like, you should. You look it. I know. We see a slight, a slight time jump, and the boat is further out at sea, but still moving slowly. Peter turns on the radio, and the broadcast is grim. But doesn't, doesn't he say... Let's turn on some music to get our minds off this. He might. He might have said Something that. like that. Yeah. Doopy doopy doo. We've got <laughs> a dead body. Let's turn on some yacht rock radio. Conquistador. Yeah, I like this song by Purple Hair. <laughs> I like my hair. Dude, his hair looked terrible in this scene. I, if I were the actor, I would have demanded, demanded a reshoot of this scene. Do you know what Peter O'Toole looked like in Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah, you're not Peter O'Toole. This is not Lawrence of Arabia. Okay, good point. But anyways. (laughs) But my hair! My hair! Make it look like Ted Danson in the final season of Cheers. (laughs) So the broadcast is grim, and it says... The situation here in New York, since the discovery of the first zombie, is getting worse by the hour. There's chaos in the streets. The National Guard cannot control the situation. In every borough of the city, from Manhattan to Brooklyn, from Harlem to Queens, the zombies are taken over. 
The governor has declared a state of national emergency and asked the president for immediate assistance. As the broadcast plays, Peter and Anne look at each other. You can hear Brian trying to get out of the bilge below. The broadcast continues as we see zombies walking down the Brooklyn Bridge. The zombies are everywhere. There seems to be no way to stop them. According to the latest reports from police headquarters, the inhuman creatures are gathering and seem to be heading towards Central Park. Barricades have been thrown up throughout Manhattan. General Steiner of the National Guard says missiles will be used if, if necessary. I've just been informed that zombies have entered the building. They're at the door. They're coming in. Ah! The newscaster screams. Credits play over the shot of the zombies walking across the Brooklyn Bridge towards Manhattan. The end. So. Can kiss the door. (laughs) So. Warts and all. This is a fun movie, man. Final final thoughts, my friend? It's great. It's great. It's great. It's a classic. It's a it's a classic. <laughs> it's good. I mean, everybody that there's there's for for every little scene that you can laugh at or or goof on, there's a million others that are fantastic and and you know, keep you at the edge of your seat. I love it. I, I still love it. Uh, it's been a while since I, I don't know. I think I saw it actually at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica a few years back. Um, yeah, it still holds up today. It really does, man. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think probably what is the weakest is, is the script. But everything else, the craftsmanship of the rest of the movie is just spectacular you know 2023 man a lot of the effects still looks still look great the eyeball splinter to the eyeball scene is still so effective um the the zombie versus shark like i can understand why you think it like why a person would think it'd be silly or whatever but i'm watching it just from a sheer technical standpoint and i'm like what the fuck like how the fuck and no one's even attempted to film something like this again, you know? I, I I appreciate it more now than I did way back when. And that's how I felt watching it here. I appreciated the zombie versus shark scene more just because of, like, just the te- sheer technicality of it. But I also appreciated the 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 splinter to the eye because i appreciated the build-up i appreciated what fulci did with that scene and build it up and yeah you can kind of like in in scanners you can watch the head explosion as a standalone effect but it's much more effective if you watch it in the context of the scene and the build-up to it it's a whole new level you know what i mean yeah that's a perfect example because it scanners that one scene in scanners does not do the film justice just like this one scene and zombie does not do the film justice so take it as a whole exactly exactly so i had a great time with this one man i I very much enjoyed it i'm glad we finally brought you know an italian horror movie this was this will not be the last one you know i'm sure we'll see more it's not my uh, first won't be my last <laughs> it won't be baby and i know what's coming next but uh guys and gals you'll have to uh wait for wrap up after dark to find out what zach's bringing to the table but there is a connection 
you know, and some themes and, and maybe some effects and everything. So it'll be, it'll be a fun one. Definitely looking forward to it. But, Zach, until then, what's going on with Tudor Lafey? I know you're going to be dropping a new episode of Territory Marks, I think, uh, soon, right? This weekend? Yeah. By the time this airs, the latest episode of Territory Marks is up. Another great episode with me and pro wrestler Paul London, formerly of WWE. We talk about um, a rivalry between Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk, and then Magnum TA and Nikita Koloff. So before Jerry Lawler got put on the map, thanks to Andy Kaufman, yeah, uh, he and Terry Funk had one hell of a rivalry, and we talk about one slash two specific matches that we had to really cover both of them because they connect. Uh, one being a first of its kind, and then Magnum T.A. was, he, well, he got his nickname from Andre the Giant because he looked a little like Magnum P.I. Yeah. So Andre told him, he's like, you'd call yourself Magnum T. Magnum and because you had mustache and uh, instead of his name's Terry Allen, he's like, call yourself Magnum T.A. That's how he got the nickname. Versus Nikita Koloff, the Russian nightmare. The Russian nightmare was uh, from Minnesota, but, you know, had a great, bad Russian accent and man, they had one hell of a match as well in a huge rivalry too. Anyways, that's on territory marks and uh, territory marks. Month. If you're a first time listener can be found on the $2 late fee uh, feed. It's kind of like how we do uh, TV obscura here as a spinoff show, a monthly spinoff show. Territory marks is, is similar in that it lives on the $2 late fee feed as well. Yeah, it's a monthly spinoff show from $2 Late Fee. The $2 Late Fee umbrella is slightly expanding once a month. Yeah, there you did. We're fucking Pat and $2 Late Fee are both growing, my man, which makes you a very busy person. <laughs> I know. This week alone, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing a lot, doing a lot, but it's all good. Uh, fucking once you start producing content, baby, there's, there's no end. And, Oof. uh... One thing that, uh, let's see, you and I just recently uh, recorded our In the Mouth of Madness review for The Carpenter Factor, but that yes. episode will probably drop by the time you listen to this in a few weeks. It'll drop next month. Um, but uh, we had fun with that one, so go check out uh, The Carpenter Factor on the Podcast After Dark Patreon page. Uh, la- this month, the one that's currently up right now is Body Bags, and uh, I got to say... Yeah, In the Mouth of Madness is definitely better than Body Bags, but might not be as good as I had wanted it to be. So Yeah, yeah, you'll just have to listen. Sign up to our Patreon, patreon.com slash $2LayFee. Patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark to find out more about that. If you're already a patron, thank you guys. You know we love you. If you're not a patron... We'll love you when you become a patron. Just kidding. Just <laughs> we kidding. Love, it, we it, love you anyways. We love you regardless. anyways. We love you for listening and subscribing and giving us five stars and giving us a positive review and yada, 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 all that good stuff. Exactly. And, and yeah, if you, if you can't join Patreon, we totally understand. Times are tough. A free way to help out our show, $2 late fee, or any other podcast you listen to, leave us them anybody else a five-star review on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever else you can leave reviews just if you're listening to my voice right now just leave any 
podcast you listen to or review and uh, spread the love because uh, everyone's out here trying to produce content and, and, you know, make everyone's lives a little bit easier on, on the day to day. So thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us this entire time. We're barreling towards our, our four year anniversary. And this wow. has been a blast every single fucking week. So thank you all. And as always, um, this is Peter, and um, we'll catch you on the dark side with a conquistador. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.